Your move, creep. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. The only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's my form! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde, the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they still hold up. I'm Austin. And I'm George. And... What movie are we talking about today, Austin? Sorry. At the time of of us recording this, like, it's election day, so if we sound a little distracted, that's that's why. Don't age (laughs) the podcast, Austin. Hey man, they, we, transparency, you know, that's... Transparency, pfft. I'm all about deceiving the people. Deceive them, okay? We deceive them with our edits to make us sound smarter. <laughs> well, to make you sound smarter, I'm already smart. I already know what's up. Okay. No, you gotta deceive the people. You gotta let them know that this... We made this an hour before we published it. What's the date today? You know, I know the date. Do you know the date? I don't know. I don't know the date. Hopefully it'll be a Sunday. Yes. So we're yes. We on schedule. You it's know? the Lord's Day. And with that, we're going to try to transition to the movie we're going to be talking about. Are we talking about uh, Choir Boys? What? Are we talking about Choir Boys? Because we were just talking what? about church. No, we're, we're talking about two brothers who are on a mission from God. We're talking about the Blues Brothers. From 1980, directed by John Landis. Have you ever seen this film, Austin? I have seen this film before, a long time ago when I was a, a child. A wee lad. A wee lad. Uh, do you know anything about this movie? None. I didn't even know this was an SNL film until like a few years ago. <laughs> but I, I've i never seen this film. I barely know. I don't think I've ever seen uh, a... I don't think I've ever seen... What's his name? Uh, Belushi guy? John Belushi? John Belushi. I, I was going to say... Uh, I, I get... Because I know there are siblings. I was going to get them confused, but John Belushi... Jim Belushi? Jim Belushi. Yeah, because he was the one from uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, that's correct. Jim Belushi was... In the... Yeah. But I was going to get him confused. But yes, I don't think I've ever seen a John Belushi film. Really? You've never seen Animal House? Never. Never seen Animal House. Nope. That one's a weird one. <laughs> Wait, was that Steven Spielberg? I feel like he worked with uh, Spielberg. Uh, maybe I don't know. I know that there's a guy in that in that movie that sounds like Mandark from Dexter's Lab. It might even be the same guy, the actor, oh, voice actor. I know who you're talking about, but I can't rem- and I know what he looks like, but I can't remember his voice. <laughs> <laughs> Which one do I pull? The one on the right. No, the one on the left. Astronomonov. Please, sir, call me Mandark. <laughs> Mandark. <laughs> DD. You should do the whole the whole podcast like that. Uh, I, I can't. I, I don't even know what else he says. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is a weird movie because it's an SNL sketch, but it was t- two comedians that pretended to be musicians and opened the show and were the musical guest for that episode. Or for a few I don't even know if it's more than one episode. That doesn't really happen very much anymore, does it? Wait, so two co- two comedians pretending to be musicians yeah. who were the musical guests of that week? Yeah. No, I don't think that happens. That's some that's kind of 
It's kind of meta a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, they. It's weird. I remember there's this a movie came out in like late '90s, early 2000s called Blues Brothers 2000, and this it was made after, you know, way after uh, John Belushi died. I remember seeing that movie, and it was kind of whatever. I like the music, and then my uncle he had the uh, old SNL stuff, and he would he put that on the TV and I was like, Whoa, that one's, that looks like fun. I want to see that one. And then we watched the first blues brothers and I was like, this movie's hilarious. Yeah. And that's the, I think that's the last time I saw it. I only saw it the one time. No, I saw it again when I was on, it was on TV. But yeah, I like the, it's funny. And there's like this big police car chase. And I remember being confused as to like, what did they do? Like, why did the police hate them so much? Like, the plot of the movie, as far as I remember, is they're getting the band back together. I, I don't know why, but they're getting the band back together and the police are after them. And also Carrie Fisher is trying to kill them. I saw that uh, Carrie Fisher was in this as well. It, it, this seems like a very strange movie. Like, imagine, uh, what's the musical duo on SNL now? The, one that's the, the Lonely Island. Lonely Island. Like, imagine a movie about the Lonely Island getting back together. But they, they did make a movie. Uh, it was Pop Star, Never Stop Stopping. Oh, yeah, they did. They did. They made, a, yeah, Never Stop Stopping. And granted, they weren't like their SNL, or they weren't SNL characters, but they formed in at SNL and they made a film. I've never seen it. I know that like Seal is in it and he gets like mauled by something. <laughs> oh. All I really know is that it didn't do well financially. Review wise, I'm not too sure, but I, I know it was not. It was a flop. Yeah, which is like, it's not what happened with the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers was one of the top 10 highest grossing movies at the domestic box Bro, office what? of that That's year. That's the weirdest fucking thing you could say. Think about it this way. Imagine today an SNL film making the top 10 box office of the year. What? Yeah, that's crazy. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, nowadays, it's like, you'll be lucky if you have one of the, like the SNL like alums, you know, kind of be part of a film. But it's not, that film isn't revolving around something they worked on at SNL. Or it's not produced by Lauren Michaels. But nowadays, it's all... Disney, Marvel, Disney, Mar Marvel, and some family film, some film animated family film, or Warner Brothers. Yeah. And if it's the year of, like, Fast and the Furious, now will be in the top ten. That's it. Now you've got two, now you've got two white guys who are trying to put a blues group together. Back together. Because God tells them to, or I, I don't know, I'm just fucking. I don't really remember the plot either. I just remember the police car chase, and liking the music, and liking them perform because they're I don't know, i've watched the the snl sketch re, or the performance recently with dan Aykroyd uh and jim Bel john belushi singing soul man and it dan Aykroyd is really entertaining to watch he doesn't like sing a lot but he's doing this dance and he's like a really tall lanky dude so to watch him move that way is really funny but it's not it feels like a, a real band. It doesn't feel like a, a satire of a band. You know what well, I mean? Well, that's uh, that's what uh, Andy Samberg does. Yeah. You know, when you see pops, when you see pop star, you're seeing someone making fun of that kind of. I mean, Never Stop Stopping is a parody is a is a play on Never Stop Believing from Justin yeah. Bieber. 
that's the whole they're satirizing that group so but the fact that these guys aren't from what you're saying yeah and in the movie they have like big cameos like freaking ray charles is in it aretha franklin i saw that on the imdb james brown yeah calloway like what the fuck yeah shaka khan shaka khan Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan, ap- apparently. <laughs> she's like a choir soloist. That's, that's what she's uh, called in IMDb. Yeah. That is pretty interesting. Do you want me to tell you what else was on the, the box office of 1980? Shoot. All right. So the number one movie worldwide with 549 million is Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, shit. You know, to, to, to be annoying, I was going to yell out Star Wars, even though I... I wasn't sure that's when Star Wars came out, but I was just because you we have a responsibility now to mention Star Wars in every episode that we make. Every single episode. So yeah. I was going to be an <laughs> idiot and just yell out Star Wars. But yeah. the fact that it is the number one film is like, well, you beat yeah. me to it. <laughs> 549 million. The, the next movie, nine to five. The you remember that Dolly Parton song? Working nine to five. Oh, shit. I was thinking Chloe from five to nine or Chloe from nine to five. You fucking film nerd. The, the, the French Christ. New Wave film. I was like, wait, what the fuck oh is my that God. doing? No. Okay. <laughs> I've never You're seen talking it. about Dolly Parton. Uh, I haven't seen it. Uh, I don't listen to Dolly Parton. I haven't seen it either. Do you know that song, though? I, right? I do know that. I didn't know it was a movie until... I was looking at this. I do know she was on Hannah Montana for a bit. She was Miley Cyrus's aunt or grandma. I don't know. She's her godmother in real life. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh man. Um. Huh. Yeah. No, that movie made 103 million. Wait, 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 wait. So, Star Wars number one, 500 million. Yes. The second film was 100 million. Yeah. Jesus Christ! What the fuck? That's a 400 million dollar difference. It's crazy. Hmm. And then the next was Stir Crazy. Never seen it. No idea what that's about. It's a Richard Pryor movie with Gene Wilder. I've never heard of this movie. <laughs> Same. Oh, is that the uh, is that the one where one of them's mute and the other one's blind or something? No, we we I think we talked about that we before. Did. It's like see no evil. Okay, no, no, never. Okay, yeah. they okay. We did talk about that in the Willy Wonka episode. They're dressed up as as woodpeckers. Oh, I have. No oh, idea. the plot of the movie's on the poster. Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor dress up as woodpeckers and get framed for robbing a bank. And when they discover that prison life is for the birds, they go stir crazy. So it's Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder in prison? I guess so. Damn. Um, number four. This is weird. This is wild. At the domestic box office. Right. This movie made eight million. But worldwide, it made ninety nine point seven million dollars. The film is Mad Max, the original Mel Gibson Ooh, Mad Max. Wow. That movie made $91 million in the international box office. That movie didn't do shit in the U.S. It didn't, but it was number four world. It's the only international... In the international box office, if you just look at those numbers, that movie was number two. Number one being Star Wars. That's 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 funny. That's fuck- and that's why, you know, you could still make Mad Max movies today and people will flock to the theaters to see them. Well, I, I don't know. There's, I don't know how well Fury Road did in the box office. I, I don't think it did well. It didn't? It got a lot of awards and there's been a, 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 a lot of praise around it, but it didn't do well. I remember that opening weekend. I went with a guy from UCI to go see it. 
And we were like, this is not good. Because we were paying attention, because we loved the film, so we were paying attention to the numbers. And I was like, mm. we were like, this was not doing well. Yeah, it made three hundred and fifty, and the budget was one fifty. Double that, three hundred million. It, pff, I doubt it. If, yeah, th- but it was so good. Oh, it's phenomenal, fun, fucking nominal. If you haven't seen Mad Max Fury Road, what the fuck are you doing? Go watch it. Okay, watch, <laughs> watch Blues Brothers as well, but also watch Mad Max. You could do both. Well, if the first Mad Max is a very different movie, but. That was number four. No, no, I'm World saying watch Box. Fury Road, man. I'm saying watch Fury Fury Road. That's the that's the one. Have you seen the original Mad Max? No, I have not. It's worth watching because it's Mad Max walked so that Fury Road can run. You know, I mean, fair, that's where it all I mean, started. The man, I mean, uh, the director George Miller, M- George Miller. Yeah, he was sitting on it. He made three films. Seems like by the fourth time, he really knew what he wanted to do, and there was a huge gap. So. But this isn't a Mad Max podcast. God damn it, Austin. You're the one that talked about it. You're the it. one doing it. I was ready to move. I was ready I'm to move ready on. to move on before you. Uh, my God. Sorry, 16 minutes. I want to edit so much of this out. No, keep it all in. I want the people to know how you Number treat five. Me. Shut the fuck up. Number five at the worldwide box office was Airplane. Hey, Airplane. Fucking love that movie. Number six was is a movie called Any Which Way You Can. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's a Clint Eastwood action comedy. It looks awful. <laughs> Clint Eastwood in a comedy? What the fuck? Action, yeah. He's just, the trailer's just him going around punching people. <laughs> Number seven is Private Benjamin. It's, it's kind of reminds me of Legally Blonde, where Goldie Hawn, it, or instead of like uh, Reese Witherspoon becoming a lawyer, it's Goldie Hawn becoming a soldier. Is it a drama? It's a comedy. It's like that doesn't sound with Goldie Hawn. Yeah, she goes. Yeah, she she accidentally joins the army, and she doesn't expect it to be like the real army. She thinks it's like a spa vacation or something. Oh, okay. Uh, number eight is the coal miner's daughter. That just sounds so um, with uh, <laughs> no, with uh, the coal miner's daughter. Isn't that with uh, uh, Susie uh, Carey? Sissy, what's her name? Sissy, Sissy Spacey. Yeah, I think that's her, the coal miner's daughter. I think it's a, I think it's a music biopic. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I've seen it a long time ago, but I can't remember where. But I remember liking it. Really? Yeah. It sounds boring. <laughs> I for just from the oh, title. Oh, was it? In, was it? I think it must have been in high school. Uh, on one of those days where the teachers just doesn't know what the fuck to do, so they play a movie. I think it. I think <laughs> it may have. I think because it's. I mean, it sounds yeah. familiar. And I definitely remember thinking right. that was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't uh, know, man. Number nine, Smokey and the Bandit, part two. Never heard of it. Oh, wow. Burt Reynolds and uh, what's his name? The other guy. Look, man, all you, ha- you had me at Burt Reynolds. God damn. That mustache, <laughs> chest hair. I want to look like that. I don't know who I don't know who Smokey or the Bandit are. I know that Burt Reynolds is one of them. Um, and then where's where was I? Number nine, number ten is Friday the Thirteenth. I've never um, actually. Seen, but if you, I've never actually seen it. Never. It's whatever. I don't. Know. But it's it's Jason though. It's. Uh... I know, but it's well. The first one isn't really Jason. It's the the mom. Oh, okay. And then Jason appears at the very end like a zombie coming out of the water. That was that's the one that that's the scene that everybody knows. Yeah. That's the one I, I'm, I'm familiar so, with it, and I've never seen the film. 
Yeah. So then, like, 11 at the worldwide box office is the Blues Brothers. It, but it's number 10 at the domestic box office. Oh, but international, it just barely missed the top 10. Yeah. Not, by not very much. By t- 2 million, about. Oh, God. That's super small <laughs> margins. Yeah. Also coming out this that year was uh, The Elephant Man, Caligula, Caddyshack, The Blue Lagoon, Raging Bull, The Fog, and The Shining as well. Well, that was the start of the that was the start of the decade. That was damn. I, I I don't feel like I feel like I've heard a lot of these, but I've never seen them. Yeah, I've only seen like the uh, like Star Wars, Raging Bull, and a few other ones. Maybe one about Missy or Sissy. Uh, I barely, I can't, I can barely remember. Uh, it's Coal Miner's Coal Daughter. daughter. <laughs> the most generic name for a movie. Yeah, it's, it seems like I really have not seen that many. I do know, I don't know that much about Blues Brothers. In fact, I don't know anything about Blues Brothers, but I know things around Blues Brothers. For example, uh, I know about the car chase, the cop car chase, because I feel like I watched the Watch Mojo video where it was like 10 highway chase scenes or something like that. And Blues Brothers was on there. <laughs> yeah. It, or it, it was like on a list of craziest car chases. And I saw it. I was like, what the yeah, fuck that, is happening? That car chase is like over the top, insane and like hilarious because of how over the top makes, it is. Which makes me excited to actually see it and and, and figure out what ha- what's happening. I feel like this movie kind of, it is, it is not a pro police movie. The police are straight up villains in this movie. They're like, they're trying to turn the music down. You know, that's those that's their motivation in this movie. What year was Footloose? Oh, eight nineteen eighty-four. So there's just something about yeah. authority figures just like being assholes. And I know that's four years yeah. afterwards, but like I'm sure I just it's funny because it's like when you're it's cops, it's like there's no blues allowed. And like a few years later, there's no <laughs> dancing allowed. And and yeah. what is it a few years later? She that's Terminator two a few years later. Yeah. Um but as you can see, we aren't like super familiar with Blues Brothers. I remember it fondly from when I watched it a long time ago, but I don't really remember the plot. So we're going to bring someone on the podcast, a special guest who's loves Blues Brothers. It's his favorite movie. And he's uh, our friend, Brandon, one of the hosts over at Cinenation, a podcast about movies um it, they, they every month they do a study on a specific subgenre and all the tropes within um so he's going to be our like research guy we're going to ask him a bunch of questions um one thing that I I don't want to ask him is like why did, was this a movie like how why did they think that yeah let's get these two guys from SNL to do a feature length movie for these made up characters that they did for a musical performance i for me i'm not really curious about that because it was the 80s anything could be a fucking movie um now if blues brothers were made today i'd be way more interested as to how that got greenlit if it if it was made today and it didn't go to netflix and was top 10 at the domestic box oh, that'd office be the, that'd be the case study fucking yale students would have to look into this scientists would have to see what the fuck was happening I'm curious about more on from Brandon's take because Brandon is a huge film guy, huge. I, I'd say probably bigger than both of us. 
very much close, leaning closer to like an encyclopedia. So he's, and he's seen a lot of films. So I want to know how an SNL inspired film about, about blues is one of his favorite films. I, or I want to try to understand what kind of sentimental value does it bring to him? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause he's seen a lot of films. I'm very much curious as to, okay, how the fuck is this one of your favorite films, right? A movie you haven't seen, you're already like, why is this your favorite there, movie? Well, it's just a very weird concoction. You know what I mean? It's To me, it's very weird, but I've never seen the film. If if you wanted me to guess your favorite films, I would not have thought of Blues Brothers, right? Speaking of Brandon. Right. Like, Blues Brothers would not have come up, so I want to know, what is what has he seen the film yeah, me too. There's a couple of things I wanted to add, really talk really quickly talk about. The only real two things that I'm even familiar about in terms of Blues Brothers, or three, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi were in SNL. That I've never seen one of their sketches. I I don't really care. Wow. I just I, it's I, <laughs> I don't care. SNL now is cool. I enjoy it. I like I like it, especially when I'm watching it on YouTube. Back in the day, I don't really give a shit unless it's like Eddie Murphy. But when I was a when I was a kid, my parents bought me the Blues Brother 2000 Nintendo 64 game. What the fuck? They made a game. They made a game, and I played it. Oh my god! But I remember being so confused by this game. <laughs> I didn't actually get past the first level. Dude, we have to find gameplay of that game. Oh, it's on YouTube. Oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at that right away. I'll, I'll send it. I'll send it to you right now. But it is the what weirdest. The hell? There's, like, moments where you have to, like, mash the buttons to the beat and stuff. And there's, like, a dance-off. Like Guitar Hero. And you, you start off in prison. Holy and there's, shit. like, a little blonde kid that you have to find. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. There's a kid in that movie, too. I have uh, no idea. But well, that's that's my extent of Blues Brothers knowledge. It's called Blues Brother 2000. Yeah. So that's what I know. But I also know I am very familiar with John Landis. Yeah, so here's what I want to know, too, is how safe was that police car yes! scene? <laughs> that police chase? Yes, absolutely. Now, I think this is juicy. So, John Landis has made a lot of films. He made Trading Places. He did um, the, the Eddie Murphy, um, fuck, what's it called? Um, Beverly Hills Cop 3. But he also did um, Coming to America. He made Coming to America. Right? Trading Places and Coming to America are fantastic. They're awesome. I love them. But what I didn't know was that John Landis was part of a big controversy during the making of the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah, we've talked we, about we, this before. What, on the podcast? Yeah. For what episode? For like two of them. For Top Gun and for Little Shop of Horrors. Okay. Well, for people who didn't see those <laughs> and who can't remember. <laughs> like George. Can't remember what we talked about on yeah, these episodes. Yeah, we talked so much. I could, I could barely remember what we talked about <laughs> Munich, and that was like a few weeks ago. And now you're dating the podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> for those of you who don't know, John Landis was one of the directors on The Twilight Zone, the movie. It was a, uh, what's it called? Anthology movie. Anthology movie, movie, and that means that a director comes in and directs a little little piece of the film, maybe 20, 30 minutes. His section was about a a bigoted man who took the place of people who were persecuted throughout time. It was like a vision that felt extremely weird, that he was, it's like a dream, and he was... It was like a Christmas carol, almost. Exactly. Perfect, perfect uh, similarity. 
And he was like a Jewish person who was thrown into like a train cart that was being sent to like a concentration camp, stuff like that. So in one section of the film, he's in Vietnam and he kind of looks at things from the perspective of some of the of Vietnamese. And he's trying to save. He knows that a helicopter's coming over and it's going to blow up this village. And he decides to carry two kids. The, the character in the film decides to carry two kids away from the village. He's crossing this body of water and this huge explosion be, 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 happens behind him as he saves the two kids. What happened in real life is that the explosion from the village was so big. Yeah, there was like metal lids over the what was supposed to explode. And one of the lids is that's what hit the helicopter with the, it hit the helicopter and the helicopter came crashing down and it killed the three actors, the lead and the two kids. It it decapitated at least two of them, I think. And it crushed the other one. Yeah. It decapitated one of the children and the actor, Vic Morrow, who's also Jennifer Jason Lee's dad. Oh shit. And the, helicopter crushed the other kid and it was there was a huge like trial over it and ended up making a bunch of changes to the movie industry and the children in its fatal pass the helicopter was lower than during a rehearsal a few hours earlier when its altitude was 40 to 50 feet at the point where explosives were to go off later yet someone it isn't clear who directed it to be lower Investigators would not assess blame for the crash, but they raise questions about communications at the scene. It's weird because I saw a documentary about it and like it, people were talking about who was to blame and John Landis was in the was in the middle of this and he was able to get away scot free. So I'm yeah, that's a good question. How safe was this fucking car chasing? Because the way the film, the documentary painted it out was during this time. This was the director's, the auteur phase. You had your Scorsese. You had your Steven Spielbergs. You had your Francis Ford Coppola's. These big name people who were doing whatever it took to get the shot, to get the film, to get that audience reaction. And the, the documentary postulated that John Landis kind of wanted to, get his foot in that, you know, a tour kind of section of filmmaking. And it cost three people their lives. Yeah. So that's all I really know about uh, Blues Brothers, unfortunately. But you know what? That is going <laughs> is to the change. Di- yeah. And I'm going to br- come in and see what the fuck this movie's about. Also, like, this is going to be the first time I've seen a John Landis movie like knowing a little bit more about what happened on that that set where you know three people died. Do you think it's going to affect? I think you? it. I think it's going to change. Yeah, I think so. I can't blame you. You know, there's people are still kind of talking about how you should react to that. You know, it's uh, does the artist live separate from the art that he makes? You know, um, and some people say yes. You know that you should never watch a Roman Polanski film after after what he did. Some people say no that you could appreciate it. And you know, granted, Blues Brothers, it's a comedy. You know, and it was made way before all it, of that ever exactly. happened. Exactly. So, but it does. Uh, well, two years before that, it really just comes down to your own personal feelings and whether you can jump into the film well enough to forget about that or if that's still going to linger in the back of your mind i i'm very curious because i think i'm on the same boat i am watching a i haven't seen a john landis film since i've learned about that 
about what happened. Yeah. And I remember really, really loving American Werewolf in London. I think it's the best werewolf movie ever made. But I don't know, it's learning about what happened there, it's I don't know, it's gonna change the way I, I look at his films. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I'm and I'm uh, I'm curious if it uh how that how knowing about that probably affected Brandon. Because I'm I'm sure he knows yeah. about it. Um mm-hmm. I'd be curious He probably knows more about it than yeah, us. Absolutely. And I'd be I'd be <laughs> really curious to see how he feels about it. All right. That's all we have for right now. We will come back when we've seen the movie and with our guest, Brandon. Uh, see you in a second. See you guys. The Cination Podcast, a weekly podcast that dives to the stories and tropes of those film subgenres you didn't even know you loved. Every month we cover a new subgenre by talking about our favorite movies and the popular directors that made them. We talk about how these films were made and the influence they continue to have on movies today. This month, we are taking a journey through the screwball comedy subgenre. Though only around for a short time, it gave a solid foundation for the modern romantic comedy. So, subscribe to the Cination Podcast if you want to find out more about the films you love and maybe even discover some new favorites. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. And we are back from watching Blues Brothers, directed by John Landis from 1980. And with us, we have Brandon. Hello. Hello, Brandon. Um, So you are one of our friends. Yes, I am and... one of your friends. <laughs> I mean, is he though? I mean, is he? I haven't heard his voice since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. So, hmm. <laughs> are you really friends if you haven't heard each other's voice in eight months? That's the, that's the Austin, question. are you my friend? Yeah, of course I don't, I'm I don't, I don't even know anymore. Yeah, this I, pandemic, uh, this pandemic has just topped these turvied everything. Yeah. But it's been weird. We, we wanted to bring Brandon in because he is a resident Blues Brothers expert. Am I is am I right to assume that, Brandon? I mean, you can. The passion for Blues Brothers runs deep. Okay, cool. When did let's just just a quick intro. What what was mm-hmm. do you remember the first experience you've had watching <laughs> this movie? First experience cuz I was trying to before this I was trying to pinpoint when I saw this first. I will say this. I saw Blues Brothers 2000 before I saw this movie. Dude, which I same. Think, I, I think, yeah, I heard. Yeah, I heard you say that. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, I liked Blues Brothers 2000 at first because I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I was probably exactly. like four, I was like third or fourth grade. I, I, I maybe around that age because it was before fifth grade that I know I saw the Blues Brothers, like the original. Because I think my parents went to like Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi, uh, John's brother did like do a touring group of the blues brothers at this point they did so my parents went to see them in concert what (laughs) oh shit (laughs) so i know was it with john belushi it was jim belushi so his brother yeah he was playing z z blues is the character is that he plays Uh, so it's john goodman and jim belushi well no so in the touring group it was just jim and dan is what it was goodman was just in, in the film it was goodman yeah 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 um, but yeah, my was parent, Jim in the film at all. He was not. I think they wanted oh. him to play uh, the cop character, Joe Morton's oh, character. Wow. I, that's what I read. Um, but yeah, my, I know my parents went to see them and I knew I already loved them before then. <laughs> and I think I was so I, I'm like, I think they went like I was in fifth or sixth grade at max. So it's like it's so I was around that age when I, I know I'd already seen it multiple times. 
Um, and then it, it, it progressed. My love for Blues Brothers evolved after that. So were you aware of the SNL thing at all? I don't know if I, I was aware like at that age. I know by middle school, by by like, I guess, 13, I was I was highly aware of the SNL stuff because I I talked to my mom about this today because I was like, hey, I'm going to talk about Blues Brothers. She's like, oh, <laughs> that's going to be crazy. Um, but uh, she was like, yeah, you always watch stuff like that at a very young age. Like by by high school, I was like an SNL uh, historian, at least for like a 15 year old. Um, so <laughs> did I, you I lo- have huh? Comedy Central uh, as a kid? I did. I did. So were you watching the reruns with like Will Ferrell and and all them? Colin? It was that. Yeah, I, I was watching some of that stuff, but also, I, I mean, also like I I stayed up late on Saturdays and watched some of it ah. uh, live when I was a kid because I, I I distinctly remember uh, this, this is revealing something about me. I had a big crush on Jennifer Love Hewitt at one point, so I remember staying up and <laughs> That's watching. Totally fine, man. <laughs> <laughs> I remember staying up and watching the SNL episode of Jennifer Love Hewitt live. That's what I do remember. Uh, so pick think, whatever year that was, like 98. <laughs> I was definitely up Saturday Night Live watching that, that episode. Oh, man. I think all, all of us had a crush on her, especially in like the early 2000s. I, I, I weirdly, this is a side story. I weirdly saw her a few years ago when I worked at the video store and they were shooting like a sh- her show that she's on 911 or whatever. And I made eye contact. I don't know if I've ever been that nervous <laughs> well, and seen someone. <laughs> you, I know, I know that you've met Bill Hader, that you spoke to Bill yeah. Hader. Yeah. He's what? a pretty big, he's fucking Bill Hader, but you, yeah. you were chill. You were cool. Totally chill. Could talk, talk to Bill Hader about movies for a while, but having eye contact with Jennifer Love, he went through a window, not even in person. Like, it was like, it was far away, and my buddy just goes, Brand, stop staring. And I just like look really, like, really far, like, oh, just turn. No. <laughs> she was looking dead at me, and I was like, oh man, my heart's racing. It was like that, it was like that ratatouille scene, but instead of him eating the ratatouille, it was like you saw Jennifer Love Hewitt, and it was, yeah. you, you went back to Brandon watching SNL. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't expect to reveal that information today on this episode, but yeah. No, that's that okay. Happened. That's all good, man. It's all good. So nope. you're a resident Blues Brothers fan and yeah. resident Jennifer Love Hewitt fan. <laughs> Very much so. Very much. <laughs> hey, so I am I am curious, Brandon, because you grew up in Alabama for yeah. our viewers who don't know. And mm-hmm. I'm not from Alabama, but I'm assuming that blues, jazz plays is a big part of the culture there. Not as much in Alabama. Uh m- music in certain areas is. I, I'll to to go more into like how I really loved Blues Brothers. Um we're cl- we're about three and a half to four hours from Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee, which is like mecca of, of, <laughs> kind of like blues music. Um, and uh, so my dad, my dad uh, would travel a little bit going to Memphis and, and back to our hometown, Alabama, Tuscaloosa. And we would go occasionally. And Memphis has like this street this uh, called Bill, Bill Street, which is kind of like it's mini bourbon street from like new orleans which is very like bars and music and bill street is kind of like that where you're having like bb king's club is there and blue city cafe and so when you're like walking down it's just this music it's kind of like it's part of the atmosphere and i remember going there i and the, I, the one big thing is like i found a blues brothers poster there that still hangs in like my room uh at my at my parents house now and i was probably like in sixth grade and, like from then on like from buying that poster onward and hearing the music in that area and then going to like the, the CD, like the, the CD shop they had on the, on the, uh, on bill street, which I think is still there. Um, and just buying stuff and just trying to like consume 
a lot of that music. That was the thing is that like Blues Brothers was also introduction to like certain films for me, but also for certain music. Blues, uh, it, it introduced you to the blues. Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that and and R and B and soul and all that. And it's and 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 I don't know if it was like, hey, this is where I first heard James Brown and Aretha Franklin. I don't know if it was that, but it made me seek out like John Lee Hooker. I could probably say that. he's the guy playing um, on the, the guitar on the street, yeah, right? yeah, on the street. Like that's probably my first. I know it's definitely my first time hearing John Lee Hooker play. Um, and so it just it kind of became like and with blues music and jazz and R and B is that when you really start kind of diving into it you see just how everything is connected from blues that that leads to i mean to rock and roll and that rock and roll leads to hard rock which is a harder version of blues like it's it's kind of crazy how everything just kind of connects when did you know that like this was your favorite movie uh it, it became like just solidified in high school. Um, high school. Yeah. Because another thing too, I have, a, I mean, I, I love John Belushi. Um, John Belushi to me is one of the biggest what ifs uh, of probably the past like 50 years. He died years. when he was 33 years old, two yeah. years after this movie came out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know you guys talked about previously of just kind of like why this movie got made and we can delve into that later. But like Belushi is just a huge what if because of he, he had this just energetic personality and, and, and commanding personality on film. And I know when I was in high school, when we were when I was in drama, I wasn't much of an actor, but like I did a little bit of acting and we weren't really like a musical theater driven program. All of us wanted to be comedians is what it kind of felt like. <laughs> it was like my buddy wanted to be Dave Chappelle. Like <laughs> I wish I could be John Belushi. Uh, and so, like, when people were doing, uh, like, monologues from Tennessee Williams, we were going up there with, like, here's a week, <laughs> here's a weekend update sketch. Like, that oh Belushi, my, I, my, my first monologue I ever did was a weekend update sketch that Belushi did. Jeez. So we, and we were always looked down upon in the city because we were, like, people who wanted to do comedies when everyone else was doing musicals and, and dramas. When we were, we were more interested in comedy, but also, like, how to do, like, dramedies, essentially. That was what we were more interested in, which... I think we were a better program in terms of acting because of it. Um, we won more awards by the end of it because that's what we focused on. Uh, comedy yeah. and drama. Because a lot of us were comedian or, or trying to do comedy first is that mm. drama became easier in a way. Mm. Comedy's uh, hard, man. It, co- yeah. Yeah. Comedy is incredibly hard. And we realized it wasn't just a, all about the jokes. Um, yeah. And that was, that was a big thing. Oh man. I, I did improv for a few years in high school. Sam, oh, and, I did it later. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> fuck me, is that hard? It is <laughs> hard, yeah. And you go up, and I can't tell you the number of times I went up, did a joke, and it fell flat. Yeah. And you just have to go back and just like, well, I hope someone can redeem this. Um, <laughs> when, when you did it, were, how, what were your groups like? Was like four people, five people? Like, what was like? Oh, man, I, I can't even remember. It was yeah. like maybe 4v4, because it, okay. it was comedy sports. Yeah, yeah. And so it was a uh, blue team versus red team, 4v4, and we played just these different games. Uh, mm-hmm. They would turn off the house lights, people would go to different positions, uh-huh. you know, and they're playing, they're acting out a scene. Then when the lights go back on, everyone has to stay still. And then these two people have to narrate. It's like a pit, it's like they're looking through an album. Oh, this okay. is when we w- did this. Okay. And they kind of have gotcha. to make a narrative. Gotcha. Um, okay. But it was, and it was just all sorts of games, but man, yeah. was it hard. And, I heard a lot of the 
uh, a lot of the drama students or people that did drama cl- took drama classes, mm-hmm. they were in comedy sports and they did comedy stuff because they're like, this shit is hard. Oh, yeah. With a comedy, if you don't get a reaction from the audience, you got to play it fucking smooth and you just have to go with it and keep just trying to just keep going with it like it didn't hurt you, even yeah, though we, you're embarrassed. Yeah, we we so I didn't do I did a little bit of improv when I was in high school, especially senior year, because we had like drama competitions and the big competition we competed in is like it was a five man improv team. And basically what happens is you you get five minutes. They give you a a place, an object and a phrase. And that's mm. all you have to work on. And so you have five minutes to create a scene and then you go out and, on like a huge stage in front of like probably hundreds of people. And for like a 17, 18 year old kid, that's a big deal. Oh, um, and it's just like, okay, let's do this. Oh I, man. I, my, my, my audiences for the audiences for comedy sports were like maybe 30. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I was nervous every time. Yeah. So I can't, I can't even imagine fucking hundreds of people and we're and we're all a lot of us, a lot of us knew, each other, knew, knew each other since elementary school but it's like funny so we knew kind of the the ins and out of how we all worked and like we always had one guy no matter what scene it was he got deathly sick or he died in the scene no matter what happened <laughs> that was his go-to bit oh and my God. in that scene he starts like pr- he starts like throwing up it's the kind of his bit is that he starts like just excessively throwing up i was just like yeah we really go in here again in front of all these people, this is what you're doing. <laughs> He's being a selfish improver. <laughs> I actually got in an argument with my buddy on, like at the end of the scene because we we also had like you had to do five minutes, and if you went over time, you got marked off, but you don't know how long you're going, mm. so you really had to think how long are we doing this scene. And I remember I called scene when the scene was over, and my buddy on stage keeps going Jesus. with the scene. And I just go, I said scene, I said scene. And everyone in the eyes goes, <gasps> oh, no. And he was just like, why'd you call Saint? I was like, because the main character was off stage. He had left. We had nothing else to do. <laughs> he was like, oh, I would have brought him out. I was like, it's over. It's over. We were at like four and a half minutes. Calm he, down. He was in the zone, though. He felt I it. No. I love those guys. And they're like <laughs> brothers to me. Uh, so we, we argued like family, but yeah, it was just, he was totally, he, he wanted to do it. His, like, he wanted to keep going with it. Even though he had big moments in the scene, he wanted to have more big moments. So, yeah, you know, I'm remembering, um, this thing I did when I was, uh, in sixth grade, I was part of like this, like we went camping, but it wasn't really camping. Like we weren't uh-huh. in the woods. We were in cabins in the woods. <laughs> um, and we all had different teams and we all had to like come up with a little skit uh-huh. and, uh, one of our guys was like a hunter and we were all the animals and he's supposed to kill all of us. And I, for some reason, I didn't want to die on the first shot. <laughs> <laughs> and I got back up and I'm like, avenge me. Con-. And he needed to shoot me again. And I was like, that was funny. But I, <laughs> now I'm hearing it from the other side. I'm like, Hmm, maybe I was just wasting everybody's time. <laughs> Nah, it's it's hard. To, man, it's you were okay. in sixth grade. What? How you're, the fuck yeah, were you young. supposed to know? No. But anyway, yes, we were obsessed with comedians and SNL people like Belushi. Did you find out about John Belushi in the same time you found out about Blues Brothers, or was him? Was he? Yeah. Did you know about him before? Or I, I think it was the same time I found out Blues Brothers because that was I remember like when seeing Blues Brothers two thousand and then seeing Blues Brothers. And being like, oh, who's this guy? Yeah. And I think it was kind of explained to me like, oh, that guy died. Uh, 
and like, oh, okay, well, he's really good in this movie. Um, and he's very entertaining. He like, is very watching much him so. on that SNL sketch. He's he brings so much life to the yeah. to the song. Yeah. Ooh, see, this is where I'm gonna have to disagree with you guys. <laughs> see, oh, George. I, I'm ahead, very George. much, and I'm not even trying to be con- contrarian, but uh-huh. um, like, again, I did not know about John Belushi. You know, mm-hmm. ups- you know, sad that he died, and he was clearly really talented and fabulous or famous. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is, it is, it always sucks hearing about these young talented artists who pass away. Uh, but I just, I never cared. I never got into it. Unlike you, like, I never had my SNL phase. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I it's now in recent years that I've gone back, and I really just admire the Eddie Murphy stuff or and mm-hmm. some of the guest stars. But with John and- Belushi, in, in preparation for this, I saw the samurai sketch that he did. Where he oh, just, man. <laughs> I, I, I didn't enjoy it. But, but, but the upside is, I really like him in this movie. <laughs> He's fucking great. I feel the same way. I I don't like him in Animal House as much. I don't like that movie very much, but mm-hmm. I do like him in this movie. Yeah. And I do like him as uh, Jake Blues in general. Yeah. This is his name Jake, right? Yeah, yeah Jake. Joy yeah. Jake. Jake and Elwood. Jo- jo- uh, yeah, Juliet Jake. Joliet. Yeah. Joliet. Okay, <laughs> so we should... Well, you want you want to give us a summary, a brief summary of the film? Oh shit! Yeah, we gotta do that. Just, a, just. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, look. This is not a plot-heavy film, so it, it is, is not. Very, it is very straightforward. This is no. I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on in it, but yeah, there is. It's not a plot-heavy film. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I was pretty like I was just trying to like think of what it was in the moment before mm-hmm. we we watched it and everything. Like, man, the only thing I missed was the orphanage, and it's yeah. not really that, that important. No, no. So and, oh, the, and also to our viewers, we will be spoiling this film. And look, and look. We do like the film. I think all of us, it's like, if you haven't seen this, you should check it out because we're going to spoil everything. And as someone who didn't know anything about Blues Brothers, <laughs> I was genuinely surprised. I I had my expectations set, right? And this movie said, fuck your expectations. Yeah. And I had, I, that's part of why I really like the film. So yeah. if you're, <laughs> even if you're a tiny bit curious just go watch it. It's on Amazon yeah. Prime. It's three ninety nine. Look, man, it is worth it. Man, we should get like an Amazon sponsorship or something. <laughs> right, We've been for pushing it. Amazon so hard. On this yeah, it's, see it. it's all. But, it's apparently streaming on Peacock as well. So if you guys got Peacock, if you're one that's of those, free, you, isn't it? It's free. Yeah. So go, go check don't it go out. Don't go to Amazon. Don't go to Amazon. Go don't to go to Amazon. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Bezos. You know, unless he's giving us money, you can go screw. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so we are going to be spoiling everything. If you're curious. Stick with the podcast, but you know what? If you're just slightly like, ah, okay, whatever, I'll watch it. Go for it. Trust me. So now we're going to be spoiling it. Take it away, Austin, or Brandon, if you'd like. Try to do it in like two and a half minutes. Two and a half. Oh, two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes. That's a so lot. Could, uh, yeah? All right. For Blues Brothers, maybe. I don't know. Well, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, Juliet Jake, Jake Blues, played by John Belushi, and Elwood Blues, played by... Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Jake has just recently got out of prison after going to prison for I'm not entirely sure what. It's something to do with the previous <laughs> thing. Um, but uh, basically, Jake and Elwood are these two two former orphans or orphans who met up at this local orphanage in Chicago. And they became obsessed with the blues at a young age. And they, after Jake gets out, he had promised way back in the day 
to go see the nun, it's like the mother superior who he calls uh, the penguin um, <laughs> to go see her and like be like right with God, I guess you could say. And he was like, oh, I said that as a, as a joke. I'm not going to see this woman. Uh, Jake and Elle would go up. They find out that the orphanage they grew up in is about to be bought by like the county board commission or whatever. And it's going to be turned to something else because the church doesn't want it. And then all these orphans are going to be sent somewhere else or whatever. So Jake and Elwood, Jake, after being essentially given a message from God after hearing James Brown sing, which I understand this, uh, decides, hey, hey, we're going to start our band. We're going to bring our band back together (laughs) that we did before I went to jail, go on the tour and get the money to pay uh, to pay the the county board commissioner, whatever, to save the orphanage. And so then they go and reunite the band, go one by one and find all these people that have been are kind of like across the city or across the, the, the Illinois area and decide to start doing gigs again to get enough money. And then they at the very end, they have the big show that's going to save the orphanage and they take the money they get from a record producer that pops out of nowhere Um and decide, and they have this huge, like, <laughs> massive car chase uh, to get to the place before the, the last day of the deadline to pay the money, uh, and essentially just ruin a lot of the Chicago area uh, to pay the money to Steven Spielberg. Um, <laughs> who, who's who is Steven Spielberg? It is what the the guy that handsome yeah. man, the guy that yeah, uh, who's eating the sandwich? Yeah, what I did not realize that. <laughs> yeah, goes and pays them, and then. They wind up in jail. That's the whole plot of. Well, they they end up in jail with the rest of the band. <laughs> with the rest of the band, which is also a little confusing. Yeah, I, I was, I was watching this time. <laughs> I was watching this. I was like, what did they do? They just kept playing. Yeah, like they didn't. They didn't go on a high speed chase through the state of Illinois. I was thinking, you jail them up. You put them in jail for uh, obstruction of justice, or maybe like a co- co- corroboration with maybe because he nodded his head when he went through the trap door. I guess. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Willie, Willie Hall nodded his head. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, unless they're just there to record an album, that's also what I think is like they're there. To, I mean, they do go to jail because they say it in Blues Bowl 2000, which I'm just going to write that movie off and pretend <laughs> it exists. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I feel like they're doing like a live album is what I I, I assume at the like end. Johnny Cash. I just always. Yeah, they're doing like Folsom Prison. Like they're just like we're gonna do a live album because they signed a re- they signed a record deal. They took money from the guy. Yeah, like it makes sense they're gonna record an album in jail. That's a great that's a great like a uh, um, concept to do for an album. Uh, I think it's really funny that this is your favorite movie and you don't know why Jake got arrested. <laughs> I think it was, I think I think I think it's like he took the fall. If I remember correctly, they say in the movie he took the fall for a bunch of money they owed or whatever the band owed. He was robbing a gas station to 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 pay off. That's what it was. A debt that the band has. Yeah, it's it's such a minor thing. Like it's like yeah. a very throwaway <laughs> thing. And and the thing is too, I think this just kind of goes to the big point that this movie is not really interested in any sort of plot details or it has yeah, a story really. and it it has yeah. a it has like a goal save yeah. the church or save the orphanage, but yeah. outside of that, like nothing is really like. There are no, you can't worry about minute plot details. You can't worry about yeah. that. That is not what this film is concerned with, which I'm very, no. I like, I'm fine with. Yeah. If it does it well, mm-hmm. fuck plot. Like, fuck yeah. all these details and stuff. It doesn't matter. The, yeah. Carrie Fisher is in this. Yeah, Princess she Leia. Plays, oh, she I forgot play, about that plot line. <laughs> right. she, she, she plays a woman who was left at the altar by Jake. 
Yeah. We don't know when, we don't know how, or she describes how, but we don't know when. She has connections to the mob, her family does, because uh, her father was it her her father used her his last favor with Mad Pete Trello yeah. to uh <laughs> get the church or whatever it was. And and she tries to kill them throughout the film. She yeah, blows up yeah. a building. Blows the building. <laughs> she shoots a she rocket. She sets launcher. them on fire by with a pro- propane tank. Oh, yeah, yeah, the flamethrower. Yeah, yeah. She shoots at them multiple times. Yeah. The police just watch her do it. They help her. <laughs> Jesus they, Christ. They they literally like walk like she blows up a building yeah and while they're asleep like while they're in She's the building she blows people. it up she oh she probably it's has a, it's a oh, yeah. all, get- all the all those old dudes that you saw beforehand like the guys are like you got my cheese whiz those guys are dead yes. those guys are just dead <laughs> and the film doesn't even bat an eye the characters no. don't even bat an eye they just nope. get up it's like well dust themselves off and walk off it, it's like they don't even know that she's trying to kill them until the very end yeah it's insane this broad (laughs) so this so in terms of plot this film is nowhere near interested um which is fine though because it's still it still has the goal it's not that it's not interested in anything they still have to get the money somehow yeah but this film is so does not it does not care about it and it is so absurd yeah yes it's very absurd (laughs) like some of the some of the stuff is kind of like why is this a scene but when yeah. it gets into the like really absurd stuff, like the magic nun or the yeah. fucking <laughs> trampoline in the church, the, <laughs> yeah. the the car backflip, like I had to like rewind yeah. and watch like, how the fuck did that car backflip? And then like, oh, it just <laughs> it just kept reversing and it backflipped. <laughs> yeah, it backflipped. <laughs> it just did it. This might be jumping ahead a little bit. There's a reason why like, there's a there's a big answer to all these things we're bringing up, by the way. And that's Dan Aykroyd. Uh, <laughs> a- Dan Aykroyd wrote the script. He co-wrote it with John Landis. But uh, La- Aykroyd had never written a script before. He also never read a script before. Jesus uh, Christ. Before this movie. Uh, so that makes so he, much he, sense, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so when he turned in his script, it was 324 pages long. Uh, for those that that don't know screenplay format, like 120 is a two hour movie. Uh, so 324 is a long movie. Also, too, he kind of wrote it in free verse, so it's just like almost like a book, basically. Oh my god, what a mess! It wasn't like actual sc- screenplay. So Landis had to take it, like trim it down to something. And so there was a, all these like ideas and scenes that kind of just went places and long monologues about Catholicism or whatever. And so Landis had like two weeks to just whittle it down to make it a working script. And then like, there's also a director's cut, uh, as well. You can find. Yeah. It's like uh, 20 minutes longer. I was like, what the fuck? This movie two and a half hours. Yeah. 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 It's still like two hours and 10 minutes, but like there's 20 more minutes of it. And one big scene that I know Ackroyd wanted in there was he wanted to explain why the car could do all these cool things. Uh, Um, cop tires, cop suspension. (laughs) Yeah. Cap shocks, catalytic converters. Yeah, is the new blues mobile or what? Yeah, it's uh no. Basically, what it was is that they park it beneath like the L train, the elevated train in uh Chicago, uh, in this kind of like little. I don't, it's not a garage. It's a little kind of like almost like cl- like big closet where all the transformers are for the subway. And basically, the subway generates this energy <laughs> that gets into the car and makes it magic, basically. Oh my god! And Landis is like, "I'll shoot it, but I'm not going to use it." Like, so that exists. It's in the director's cut. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What version did you guys watch? I'm curious. I watched the theatrical so all... release. 
I watched the actual cut for this. I decided to watch both. She's psycho. Oh, damn. I because I, I try to use I try to watch at, mm-hmm. every film we do at least one at least twice. Um, And with this one, it was easy because yeah. I really enjoyed it. So I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm just rewatching the same the same film. But I'll yeah. see if I could catch a couple of scenes here and there. And that is a, that's a long scene because <laughs> yeah. it's really it's not a garage. Yeah. It's a closet. Claudia, he's yeah. slowly fitting the car in, and he has to yeah. get out through the window and yeah. walk out of and cl- through the and climb roof. on top of the car. Yeah, climb on top of the car and get out. Yeah, it's it's in the part when they're arriving at his like apartment, the, basically, the transient and they're home. driving down the street, and you're seeing like all the like the the theaters and the bus stop and all that mm-hmm. stuff, and then it cuts to him like parking the car, and then it shows them walking out uh, when Carrie Fisher. Or no, uh, Carrie Fisher. Carrie yeah, Fisher she, shoots them before that. Yeah, she there. shoots them in a rocket, and she comes back and blows up the whole building. Yeah, blows the whole place. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, she. It's like right before she shoots the rocket. It's that part where they cut to that them parking the car. I see. I, well, I was just gonna say, um, the one of my biggest complaints about the film. I enjoyed it a lot, but one of my biggest mm-hmm. complaints is it's really long. Yeah. Um, yeah. and because it's so very random. Yeah. It's like okay, you could take this out, but it doesn't pay off with this. And yeah, you could take off the story about the, the the hillbilly band or the country band, but that doesn't pay off at the end. And what about the Nazis? It's very spread. You forget about and, the and Nazis. So <laughs> oh, the, can't, oh, can't I, the I, Nazis. I God, hate they were Nazis. fucking hilarious. You- I mean, it's funny. I, 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 World War II taught me to hate Nazis, but so did this movie. <laughs> and I feel like more people nowadays need to watch this movie to understand why Nazis are bad. They say I hate Illinois Nazis, so they're Antifa. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, and you <laughs> and you have Antifa drive through a Nazi demonstration. Hey, what's going on? Ah, those bums won their court case, so they're marching today. What bums? The fucking Nazi party. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. That's news right okay, there. Okay, so can can we just really quickly? Okay, so one thing we we, uh, we can find we can talk about things that were funny and stuff, but I just really yeah. wanted to mention that this movie is kind of relevant today. Yeah, I think so because they're they're dealing with all these different social groups, right? They yeah. they're they're dealing with the black community. Uh, yeah. They're dealing with these with this southern part of Illinois that's very rural and racist. And you're yeah. also bringing Nazis in, but then you're also bringing the police and the army and. Yeah. There are just some scenes that were very reminiscent reminiscent of today when the Blues Brothers drive through the Nazi things. I could not but help myself and think about yeah. the real life protests that where people have been driven. Yeah, it will run down. And look, it's not the intention, but I'm just like, it's it's a weird feeling. Yeah. Um, like at the one of my favorite scenes in the film, um, aside from the ending, <laughs> is. Mm-hmm the country bar that they go to um and there's just a very rural you can say rednecks you can say rednecks that's what they are i'm like come on george don't (laughs) all right jorge unchained they're they're white rednecks and they're like we we only listen to two things country and western oh yeah and and there were so many red hats there oh yeah i saw that 
I, I could not that. help. I couldn't help but just pay attention. It's like, oh my god, there's so many red hats. This, you know, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. This is 40 years before anything happened. Yeah, yeah. But it was. It's just the politics are very much there. Yeah. It's not really explicitly saying anything. It's just kind of like, you know, people come around music. And it, there's kind of like this mm-hmm. thing about, yeah, people are kind of good, except the cops and the Nazis. Yeah. But the, the yeah. reason the, the country bar scene is my favorite scene, it's because when they're singing... Uh, uh, Stand by your man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the the worst performed song in the movie. I, it's now. I, it's not. By the way, it's now on the album. By the way, it's now on the, now on the soundtrack. I couldn't find it, but yeah. I really like it because it's not the best well sung song in the entire film. It's yeah. it's you're right. It's not even really that great. Look, man, I mean, as Austin mentioned, it's around election time and we're in California. Yeah. Brandon's been to Alabama, so you know the vibe over there. I've never been. So there's very much this like us and them mentality of us, the liberals, and them, the conservatives. And there's this very much idea of like Trump supporters being awful and hideous and racist. And by this point of the film, I was kind of aware of just like some of these cues to like, you know, the mm-hmm. U.S. and all these groups. And when they were singing that song and you just get the cl- the shots of the couples kind of like hugging each other, just like looking at each other. Like the one guy that was throwing beers was like drinking it and he looked like he, he looked like he wanted to cry. Yeah, yeah, because he, 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 he didn't have a woman to stand by him. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was like it's like a humanizing moment where it's like, oh, like these guys were really awful 30 seconds ago. But you kind of just realize like they're playing music they, they like. Well, yeah, yeah, but there's and you're not there's even just playing something... it well. It's just music they like. <laughs> oh, and they're drunk. Uh, but it was just really nice. And I'm like, these are people too. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say. Are you trying to say there's good people on both sides, George? I, I... Oh God, no, we're not even. No, no. Granted, it's followed by the real country band. Yeah, the the good old boys. Or were they good old boy? Yeah, yeah, the good, good old boys. boys. Yeah, yeah. Which. Which yeah. that hasn't even really that type that name hasn't even really aged well with like the Proud Boys. And stuff, oh, it's right you know? on. But, it's right on cue, man. There, it's it, yeah, the still is prophetic. Excuse me, gentlemen, are you the good old boys? Yeah, that's right. I'm talking McElroy, lead singer, driver of the Winnebago. Listen, I'd like to talk to you, son. We're running very late. My name is Jacob Stein, the American Federation of Musicians Union, local 200. I've been sent here to see if you gentlemen are carrying your permits. Of what? Your union cards. May I see your cards, please? Suppose we ain't got no union cards and we go in there and start playing anyway. Now, what you gonna do about that? You gonna stop us? Stein? <laughs> you gonna look pretty funny trying to eat corn on a cob with no fucking teeth. It's this, because I know it's this time too when watching it. I, like, this movie was never meant to be, never, I don't think it was made to be political in any way. And uh, it's weird how times can affect, current times can affect how we view certain things. Yeah. And I do agree, weirdly, this became, like, just relevant within the past five years basically four years um, oh, so many Im- like the images of nazi rallies and yeah, yeah. you know the red hats and it's it's littered throughout this entire film even cops too yeah they're standing yeah. there menacing with their guns 
in the concert and hall just and their, in the jail cell. Their sheer, their sheer like uh, lack um, of humanity. Lack of lack of like they don't give a fuck. Just do what the computer tells them to do. One of the funniest <laughs> scenes that I where I laughed at, but I was also like, oh fuck, was when they're in the building at the very end. They've uh-huh. put the they've blockaded the door, and this is after the firemen get in. Mm-hmm. But this is like went up in the top of the building, and something's blocking the door, and they're like, move, like get away, and they start shooting yeah. the door, Jeez, not yeah. knowing that maybe someone's on the other side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a, yeah, it's very absurd, and 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 I think Landis said this at one point where like he 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 always, he always want to like ha- have like jokes about size, and like it's just these two little guys, and they're being chased by like the U.S. Army <laughs> and all of Chicago PD and state like edged everyone SWAT teams all this stuff, and it's just like it's just two dudes, yeah, like in an elevator listen to like to, to music or whatever they're like that's playing in the elevator like that's it they've got snipers on the roofs <laughs> what did they do i mean they did stuff yeah like but like nothing that deserves that response this is literally a speeding ticket that's what this is over <laughs> and you can't and you're you hit it right on the head brandon by saying how times can kind of mess with how we see a film yeah, and that's mm-hmm. that's know. why we do this podcast yeah this is probably the second film we've talked about where like the police kind of play a big role yeah. uh, after Terminator uh, Judgment Day. Yeah. Um, what mm-hmm. maybe more of a question for Brandon. Um, so a lot of this movie is focused on like showcasing black talent and black artistry. Mm-hmm. Is that something that has been in like a top 10 domestic grossing film before? Blues Brothers? Or is this kind of like a, a big deal? I don't know if it's really done before... I will to the second part. It is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's some history behind that, and I can I can talk about that. And, and this might, if it's okay, I can delve into how this band got made because I think that's very important. Because um, I think Austin, you talked about how uh, earlier before I came on, how like this doesn't satirize music in any way. It's like a very uh, yeah, it loves the music. It's like a real band. So Belush Ackroyd specifically. So Dan Ackroyd's from Toronto. Belushi's from Chicago, which is kind of home of electric blues. They meet up on SNL or before that in the comedy scene at this point in the seventies with second city in these places. And they meet up and just like, Hey, we should like start a band because Belushi always wanted to sing and Ackroyd played the harmonica <laughs> and Ackroyd Belushi was in the hard rock music at this time in the seventies. Ackroyd was a huge fan of blues music and they kind of agreed, Hey, you teach me hard rock. I'll teach you blues. And so they became obsessed with blues music. And so when all the SNL stuff happened, where they started off just basically as like a warm up, uh, warm up gig for like the SNL, like for the audience before they went live, they'd go out as Jake and Elwood and like, just like uh, get the audience ready for the so show. Like, uh, before they started taping. Before they started taping. So if yeah. you went to these shows, you knew who the blues brothers were, but if you weren't in part of the New York yeah. scene, you didn't know who they were. You did. You didn't know. And cause they would go and perform in New York at clubs together. Like they, they're like being backed by like, like Willie Nelson's band or like whoever was at this club that night. Jeez. And so they were just into the music. And so it got to a point where they were asked by Steve Martin, who was one of the biggest comedians of all time. And, and probably besides me, Richard Pryor and George Carlin at this point, and maybe bigger at this specific point, like 1978, he was huge. And he goes, Hey, I want you to open for me in, uh, at the universal amphitheater in Los Angeles for like a week. And they're like, that's great. We don't have a band. And so Paul Schaefer, who later became Letterman's guy, 
uh, on the late show. Uh, he was he worked at SNL. Him, him, Belushi and Aykroyd put the band together. And what was very big is they wanted to get like the real people who made the music they love to be in the band. So people like Matt Guitar Murphy was like played with Chuck Berry or played with Willie Dixon and played with these kind of blues musicians of that era of the 50s and 60s. Who's in the uh, film? He's in the is film. Is he the yeah, guy yeah, that's yeah. married to Aretha Franklin? Yeah, the one's married. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's married to Aretha Franklin. So he's so yeah. a musician, not an actor. Not an actor. None of these guys are okay. actors except I think Mur- Murphy Dunn, who's the piano player, was an actor beforehand. Um, so McIntyre Murphy's in the band. Uh, Steve Cropper and uh duck dunn or donald dunn donald duck dunn uh they're the duck dunn is the guy with kind of the, the afro the white guy with the kind of the yeah, afro yeah. Type, with, the, the, with the cigarette piper uh yeah he's always yeah and then steve cropper is the long-haired guy with the beard who's the like the backup yeah, guitarist. i remember seeing him on snl too he's in the snl so they did the snl gigs right before i guess the steve martin stuff around the same time and so steve cropper and and dunn they played for like Otis Redding and these people had stacks, which is a big kind of hub at that point in the sixties and sixties really of kind of the Memphis blues scene or Memphis R and B and soul scene. And so they play like Steve Cropper, I think is listed as like the 39th, according to Rolling Stone, 39th greatest guitar player of all time. And he's in this band. <laughs> uh, Willie Hall, who's the drummer played with Isaac Hayes. Uh, the horn section is all New York based. So they're all SNL people. They are in the SNL band. So it's like a weird kind of concoction of, uh, a rhythm and guitar section from Memphis in the South and, and electric blues from Chicago. And then like New York jazz with the horn section. So they were like handpicking these people from the music they listened to. And so then when it came to the movie, to go with your question about like black artists in this movie, and this is another reason why I like it, love it so much is that like it to me in the scenes, Belushi and Aykroyd just take a step back yeah. Yeah. and let these artists just go. And to put into context is that besides Ray Charles, none of those people were big at this moment in time. What? In wait, 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 like James Brown. So James Brown and Aretha Frank, Aretha Franklin had just been dropped by a record label a year before this movie because she wasn't doing any hits. Like what was happening in the music this time is you're seeing a lot of disco. So oh, they, that's James on their Brown, album, I think. The Blues Brothers album, they talk about, oh, there's so much disco out there. Exactly. Exactly. So that's that's the kind we think about is that disco and electronic music and te- like techno type stuff and even and funk to an extent are like the music scene. And so this like blues rhythm blues thing is very different than what's happening in the culture at that point. Um, And so Brown and Aretha, I think had done like disco albums right before this. Cause that was what everyone was doing, especially these older black artists, because that was where kind of black music was going is this like disco scene with like Donna summer and people like that. And they were trying to make disco infused albums and just wasn't going well. And Belushi and Aykroyd and Landis to an extent, they're like, well, we want, we want these guys in our movie because they weren't doing anything. It was easy to get them in and they get them. And there's a lot of pushback from the studio because they were just like, why are you having all these old black artists in this movie? Holy shit. And they were trying to get them to put like disc young disco acts in the film. And they were just <gasps> Universal. like, 
Universal was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, no, we're not doing it. These are the people we're, go- we're like, they wanted to cut Aretha, I think, and put in Roy- uh, Rose Royce, who did like the car wash song, like, work at, <laughs> like working at, they-, they wanted to put that in instead of Aretha Franklin. Wow. But it's called the Blues Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that's the that's it's so hard like nowadays like we think it's Aretha Franklin she's like arguably the greatest singer of all yeah, time. Yeah. So like my you know my dad and his brothers are they're all half black mm-hmm. half Japanese. So Blues mm-hmm. Brothers meant something to to them. And that's probably why they showed yeah. it to us. And like now I'm seeing why they were drawn to it because of all this yeah you know black artists famous black artists that and to put into even more perspective with this uh, this was considered at the time by studios as a black movie. Oh, so, so that was the kind of the big thing when this was released was for one. And we can talk about this a little bit later if you want to, but it it was over budget, like just crazy. There's a lot of cop cars. I see crashing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Like I think the final budget, they're supposed to spend $17.5 million. They spent 30 million, which is three million less than Empire Strikes Back, which I know came out the same year. Three million um, less on the budget yeah. than Empire yeah. Strikes Back. Correct. So, so Universal doesn't have much faith in this movie because it's a black movie. Yes, because they're like, who's wow. gonna want to go see black artists? Wow. And it wasn't. And now, 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 to give Universal, I don't know if it's fully Universal. A lot of this was also theaters in America. So like theater exhibitors where you like say, hey, here's the movie we're doing. Universal's coming out with. They're like, we don't want to program this because we can, we're not going to program program this in white neighborhoods. Is basically what they said is that we're not going to program it in white neighborhoods because it's a black movie. It's not going to play well. We'll put like, literally, I think someone said we'll put it in Compton. We won't put it in Westwood. Wow. Like that's what it was. And so so to even more perspective, uh, an average movie at this point was released on 1400 screens. This got 600 screens half when it came out less than half, less than half. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of faith in this but movie. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi and Jim Belushi and John, John, John Belushi. Belushi. God John damn Belushi. It. Yeah, yeah. John Belushi. <laughs> and I think wasn't Animal House like a, a huge hit, a huge hit. Exactly. Um, the worry to to also say like so right before Blues Brothers, I think you guys had mentioned uh, he had Belushi and Aykroyd have both done 1941 <laughs> by Spielberg. Uh, it is a Spielberg yeah. movie. Yeah, I, I, I had a feeling, but I wasn't sure. Big bomb, big bomb. <laughs> uh, so when they bought the rights to the movie, Belushi was in great standing because of Animal House and a few other things that I can say later. But in making it and when it's an editing, 1941 comes out and it's a huge bomb. Like, well, crap. Like, uh, is this going to do well? Because Belushi's star power is 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 is, is straining a little bit. Because of one fucking movie. Yeah, Hollywood man. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's so so it it was a sleeper hit. So I know it can't. Like I said, you guys talked about how it was top ten at the end of the year, and in reality, it shouldn't have been. That's all of what. That's insane. But I'm also yeah. not really surprised though. Yeah. Uh, I I'm not. I mean, okay. Well, it is surprising because I'm not a big. Uh, Ray Charles, uh, James mm-hmm. Brown fan. I'm not big Aretha Franklin. I think they're great. I, I recognize yeah. that they are great artists, but I have never sat through and listened to an entire album. I'm sure I've I've heard songs by them. Yeah, but it, 
But looking back at this, I'm like, oh my god, it's so cool. Like they got James Brown, they got all of them. Yeah. And now you're saying, uh, they weren't really as big as a name as they are arguably yeah. today. Yeah. And the fact that the studio <laughs> saw their presence, like, this is a black film. I'm but I'm that's that's wild yeah. because it's like you have two leads that are white. It's not just a black cast. Like it no. has black cast members and extras, but it also has a pretty big white cast. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how, because the assumption, the idea of a black film is still very much present today. Now it has more of like, oh, this it's a black ensemble cast, mm-hmm. um, you know. But this just yeah. with, with with time, this just this is not it. It does, yeah. like Austin says, it shows black excellence, mm-hmm. but it is, it's not really about black people it in terms of like the music though the music is a big <laughs> the, the, part of the, the movie the music, and the music yeah. is all written by black people yeah oh yeah absolutely i i'm th- i'm saying the the story and the plot yeah the, really like it's about a church it's about an orphanage yeah. it has more to do about an orphanage yeah it's two, uh, and it's two white dudes in the lead it's a dude from canada and a dude from chicago and they're just doing like, white boy yeah. shit and getting away with it <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, th- that's the thing that Aykroyd and Belushi were hell-bent on this, of, like, they wanted to showcase the artist they loved. That was just huge for them. Uh, that's why, George, Blues Brothers is better than La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I'm sorry. You know, I you know. I had to do it. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what? I No, no. I can't even hate you because, <laughs> goddamn, I mean, I enjoy La La Land a lot. But I kind of like Blues Brothers a lot too. <laughs> Ooh. It's funny because that that you mentioned La La Land. This movie kind of highlights how La La Land in that regard doesn't work. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't show that at all. And no, this movie definitely highlights that. Yeah. I didn't mean I didn't mean to throw it out there. I just know you you had said in the Little Shop of Horrors episode how you didn't like musicals, but you like La La Land. <laughs> so Hey man, hey, I have put it. In the podcast, it is out in the world, and <laughs> and I mean, you're you're right, man. To to right to a whole certain extent, I'm not even, and that's a funny thing because I don't really, I I'll, I'll listen to movie soundtracks mm-hmm. like uh, like musical scores. I listen to that often, but when it comes to musicals and stuff, I don't really listen to it. The yeah. few that I have, La La Land, a little bit of Grease. Mm-hmm. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors now. I mean, so far, we've covered but three it, musicals on the podcast, and you like them all. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and now, and now, add Blues Brother to the fucking yeah. list because I was banging my head to all the songs, <laughs> and even the songs that people are like, "Ah, it's not really that great." I'm like, I love the, it. The Stand by your man. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I don't Stand know. By your man. I, yeah. I'm like, just you could just picture me being that guy in the bar, just drinking by the beer by myself, just like holding back my tears. <laughs> Stand yeah. by your it's beautiful. Man. Beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah. But, it, go ahead, Austin. I was just gonna change subjects. Um, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's that's stuff that I like. I really like the absurdism and the. But mm-hmm. then I want to go into stuff that I didn't really like. The stuff that I didn't think okay. really held up. Uh, mm-hmm. This movie is very anti-woman, don't you think? <laughs> Who are you gonna call, Jake? You remember Maury Sline? Sline, booking agent. What about him? We well, got us some good showcases in the old days. Got us to Morgan Park, got us to TikTok, I got him laid, he owes me. Ah, forget it, there's no way with you guys, forget about it. Say, uh, how's Mrs. Line? I might have some information she'd like to know. You blackmailing me, Jake? How much for the little girl? The women, how much for the women? 
What? Your women. I, I, I want to buy your women, the little girl, your daughters. Sell them to me. Now, you listen to me. I love you, but I'm the man and you are the woman, and I'll make the decision concerning my life. You better think about what you're saying. You better think about the consequences of your actions. Oh, shut up, woman. You better think. Yes. I wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt, but when that Aretha Franklin scene came out, and he's like, I'm the man. I was like, oh, boy. And he's, okay. he, she has this whole song, right? And, and like, mm-hmm. you know, watching a musical, you'd expect him to, like, come in on, like, the maybe the, the second or third verse with, like, I love you, but I have to go and do my thing. You don't even really yeah. get that. He just kind of takes off his apron and throws it on the floor and leaves. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't even say I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And there's no reconciliation between them. <laughs> All, all I know is that in the in the movie that shall not be named uh, that came after this, sh- they own like a car dealership and they're still together. <laughs> all right. So, so, so they some somehow some way. And then he does it again. He does the exact same thing again. <laughs> if, uh, if I was a wreath, I'd be like, I can't deal with this guy anymore. Like she, she he the thing is, what the film isn't showing you is that he does this on a daily basis, but like with different stuff. Like one day it's the Blues Brothers. The other day it's his brother who's like, hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to go here. I need you to come with me. So Aretha is just constantly having to put up with this bullshit. But she's like, you know what? He always comes back and he's loyal. So I guess I think the biggest crime that the Blues Brothers commit is not bringing her along with them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can't take Aretha Franklin with you to be on the road, like, as part of the band. You can't have someone cover the restaurant for both of them to go. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. I get that. So there's Aretha Franklin. There's um, the Carrie Fisher Carrie character Fisher. who's never named. She's just kind of crazy yeah, yeah. ex-girlfriend. Like, no, yeah. no, nothing satirical about it. She's literally crazy ex-girlfriend with access to high-grade military weapons. Um, yeah. You have Twiggy. Who's, wait, who's yeah, like yeah. a famous oh, yeah. European model who's... Oh, wait, wait, real life? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sh- yeah. I didn't know that. I was like, yeah, yeah. she's hot. She could be a model. <laughs> Jesus Turns out Christ. she is. Um, and then you have like the nun who's kind of like mm-hmm. an antagonistic character. She doesn't like... She, she beats them with the ruler and then... <laughs> what is that thing that she grabs after the ruler breaks? Like a... I don't oh, gosh. know. Uh, this like huge rod that she's like swinging at yeah. them. That thing, this metal rod. Yeah. Yeah, and and they then they see Cab Calloway, their father figure, and then they're like, "Oh, that's okay. We have a plan now. We're gonna do this for you, Cab Calloway. Fuck the penguin." <laughs> yeah, it's well, like I, a lot I, of the women in this uh-huh. movie are just kind of like, Ugh. yeah. I, I I understand that. I don't. I know it's a cop out. Say it's of the time. Um. It's just something that, but like, it's of the time. It, it's of the time. Yeah. Like, even yeah. this in the same year, there's the Caddyshack movie that comes out, and that movie starts with the dude finding yeah. out his girlfriend's pregnant, and he kind of just yeah. is like, "Well, that's your problem for the rest of the movie yeah. until the end when you find out she's not pregnant, and they get back together." Well, it's, yeah, I th- it's very much. It's like Brandon said. It's very much of the time, and you you have to think that this is an SNL film. SNL kind of had this same vibe um, that it it wasn't it. I don't get the impression that they hated women or anything, but from the book, there was definitely a divide between the male comedians and the female comedians on SNL in that time period. They they did a, a documentary from a book um, mm-hmm. that highlighted what was going on in SNL during the 70s, 80s. And they talk about, they had a bunch of the female comics say, and writers say like, eh, 
yeah, there was clear divide. Um, things weren't really that great for women here. You just kind of had to go with the flow. And apparently they were like, John Belushi only really respected one of the female comics. Yeah, Gilda Radner. Yes, I, I think they were like, he was. she was the only one that he saw as like his equal. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a fucked up thing in retrospect. Yeah. I mean, good on her, uh, but kind of fucked up for everyone else. But this film is just kind of, it just kind of highlights, yeah, this is, this is very much a product of the time. And SNL was this was this way you can't really argue against it i do like carrie fisher she is playing the the crazy ex-girlfriend but fuck me it's carrie fisher you you love her in anything yeah i mean yeah i it is at the time and there was a big divide i was listening to interview jane Curtin was one of the original cast members on snl and her and her and belushi they were the ones that didn't get along that much uh, cause she always, she would, she's the one that usually says like, he didn't think women were funny. Uh, he didn't really give it his all. If it was a, a female sketch, if it was written by a female or if it was a female was kind of the lead of it. And that, that to me is probably the biggest knock against, against John Belushi. Um, is that he was like that for, I would, it's the thing is that what, what I've heard differing stories of when he was out of SNL, he realized he made a mistake or whatever. And, and thought these people were funny and just like just was driven by ego, I guess you could say in the seventies. Cause at this point, Belushi was the guy on SNL. Um, and then Gilda probably. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it is, that's again, that's the era. And that's some of the, it's, it's hard to look on and be like, Oh, you could have had more opportunities for people. And, and, in this film or on that show. Which is a shame because if if what you're saying is if that's if the stories of Belushi coming kind of coming around on that behavior, you know, it's a shame that he wasn't able to live long and to not only keep yeah. acting and performing, but to also kind of kind of see his wrongs. He was like, you know what, I'm going to do more to try to push yeah. uh, other artists that maybe aren't just men. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, he he yeah, because he did like a, he did a rom com right before he died, called Continental Divide. Um, with I think the actress' name is Blair Brown, and I think that's what his career would have been more like. He would have been doing more, I think, more diverse movies. I feel post post that era. Yeah. But that, it was a changing of the times too. Again, you're seeing uh, 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 in the '80s, at least in terms of like say teen comedies, a rise of female centric stories. Um, yeah, the yeah, was it number. It was in the top ten. Um, Private Benjamin was one of the highest grossing movies yeah. of that year, and it's yeah. very women centric. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, like a lot of movies are like, oh, she's gonna see that she's wrong, and she's gonna find a husband and get married and all that. I don't think that doesn't yeah. happen in Private Benjamin. She ends up not going with the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? I, I I have not seen Private Benjamin. Oh, I haven't seen it. Maybe it's something we can do okay. later on. Brandon hasn't okay. seen a movie. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here! But, uh, God damn, we we're paying for a, a tour encyclopedia. <laughs> fuck out of here! I want to put into context real quick because I know you guys asked previously, like one question you wanted to ask me was like, uh, like why did this movie get made? Yes, and and the answer is John Belushi. And why I said earlier, Belushi is one of the biggest what ifs to me, because so at this point, Belushi. Animal House comes out in 1978. He's on Saturday Night Live. He turns 30 at the early 79. So by the age of 30 in like a one year span, he had the number one movie in America with Animal House. 
he had one of the most influential shows on television and probably the number one in late night with Saturday Night Live and the Blues Brothers, A Briefcase Full of Blues, the live album they recorded at Steve Martin's uh, concert was the number one album in America. Oh, that was recorded at the Steve Martin concert. Yes. So I don't know of any other person pre or post John Belushi that was able to say I had a number one thing in three different mediums within a year. Damn. So people were in the John Belushi business. When comparison piece of SNL cast members like his his. And I am SNL Casmers, but even comedians at the time, his his possible heights, if he doesn't die, is Robin Williams or Eddie Murphy or Bill Murray or something like that. And, may, and or Sandler at the end of the day, mm-hmm. like that's what he reaches if he doesn't die at 33. Wait, wait, so so how did he die? So Belushi, he came to L.A. He's, he's based out in New York. His family was New, or his, his wife was in New York. Um, he came to L.A., I think, for like a meeting about some movie deals or whatever. Um, and when he was out in LA, he'd been sober for a little bit, but he started doing drugs again when he came back to LA. And so he went out one night after kind of, he hung out at one point with De Niro. He hung out with Robin Williams. They're all kind of on the same like drug scene together. And then, uh, he was with some, uh, uh, a woman who essentially injected him with speedball, which is a mixture of, I think, cocaine and heroin. heroin. And so he was doing that all night. And then he OD'd when he was at like the Chateau Marmont and they found the next day. So he had been doing drugs for a bit. So at 33, that's what happens to him. And he, his big next thing was like Aykroyd was writing Ghostbusters for him. What? Um, he would have been a yeah, Ghostbuster? So who was he supposed to be? Bill Murray's character. He's supposed to be Vinkman. That, oh, that fits so well. I can picture him saying the, that's right. This man has no dick. Yeah. So it's like it, the original, the original Ghostbusters, and it changed a lot from, Ackroyd's first draft, as you guys have seen with Blues Brothers, is that Ackroyd has a lot of ideas and they just be like toned down a little bit, like just kind of control them. And so the original Ghostbusters, it was Ackroyd, Belushi and Eddie Murphy were the three Holy people shit. that were supposed to be in it. Um, and it was like an intergal- like they're on different planets or something. It's like an intergalactic type thing where they're what chasing the ghosts. What? And then what? what? Raymond, they bring it, it, different <laughs> planets chasing ghosts. Yeah. And Harold Ramis comes and is like, hey, let's tone this down a little bit. Let's make it on Earth. Thank God for Harold for Ramis. <laughs> I mean, I, Dan Aykroyd's the type of guy. I love, I love Dan Aykroyd, but I always feel like he is he is great ideas, but he always needs that second person yeah. to like bring him back down the earth for a well, little he, bit. Well, he's the uh he's the George Lucas and he needs his uh yes. he needs what's his name? Kushner uh, K- uh Yeah, Irvin Kirk Kirshner, yeah, yeah. Just someone to like kind of reel him in. Yeah. It's like, hey, you've got great ideas. But yeah. we gotta we gotta set them straight. You could totally lose one of the subplots. Well, I think you keep the the good old boys, but why do they need to come back after they get hit by the police car? Like they could be just gone from the movie, and it's fine. <laughs> Carrie Fisher gotta bring, up, uh, gotta bring them all. Carrie back. Fisher yeah. doesn't matter in this movie. Which, you could totally take her out; doesn't change a thing. But it just mm-hmm. you put everything in there. <laughs> but but I mean, but the fact that you know John Landis was able to make something out of out of that. 300 page script 350 page script is still yeah. great and for like his first script shit i i thought it was funny and i laughed yeah, I yeah. Thought, it's not fine dining but it's mm-hmm. something really good 
Oh, yeah, there's that that scene too. <laughs> the women, the women. How much for the, the children? Women. I want, I want to, to buy, buy them. them. Please, no, that, that sell me your children. I fucking love that scene. <laughs> Jesus. So, is there anything that you didn't think held up, George, when you watched this movie? It's a positive and a negative, and this is kind of like the thing where you just kind of have to feel it out. It's very long. Oh man! And the fact that this film doesn't really have a narrative momentum, you know what I mean? Kind of. Oh, okay. I, like I couldn't, I couldn't help but just kind of like have a wandering eye. Mm-hmm. Like I went to, I paused it, went to the kitchen, got a cake, got a piece of cake, came back, you know, played it. Um, there's, cause there's no real, like, okay, what's going to happen next? Oh, this character made this decision, but how is that going to, not really. It's kind of a bunch of, um, you know what, the way I could picture it, if someone made a bunch of YouTube skits that are supposed to be a long film, but they filmed it in like 10 minute parts, that's kind of Mm -hmm. how this film Mm -hmm. is. And the final episode is like 30 minutes. It's the giant climactic, um, car chase. Yeah. And I don't I I don't mind that. I think it's I I still enjoyed the film, but because it doesn't have that narrative push, mm-hmm. it does kind of drag in some parts. And I and I liked every scene for, like I I don't hate any scene or I don't dislike anything. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Carrie Carrie Fisher uh Carrie Fisher stuff doesn't totally work, but it's still really enjoyable because um, it's it's Carrie Fisher. Like you're like, "Hey, exactly, but, she's mm-hmm. alive exactly. in this movie." And I, I still really enjoy a lot of the absurdity of mm-hmm. it, but there is no like real, oh man, I, I, I want to know what happens next. You know what I mean? Uh, the only time that that really came in was when the, when the, at the end, when the cops started ch- that big, we were beginning the car chase. Yeah. I, like, I want to see how this ends. And it did not fail me. But for a two hour and 10 minute movie, I was like, mm-hmm. Oh shit! Like we're we're getting to that like Dark Knight level timeline. Time <laughs> Can you, know you what imagine I mean? him walking out of the prison to the Dark Knight music? <laughs> well, I, I want to say a sound. I mean, they do shoot in Chicago. Oh yes. yeah, I wanted. I that was one of my bullet points. I wanted to say. I was like <laughs> during that car chase. I was like, wait a second. I fucking yeah. know. I know this. Yeah. This is the scene where they're leading to the underground freeway, yep. and the yep. Joker has the fire truck there. <laughs> yep. I'll, and then, and like I, I was like I'm sure they shot at that building too. That's where like the Riddler character was was getting shot at, or the Ignic the Mr. Reese, Mr. Reese. Yeah, Mr. Reese, yeah. where he's getting shot. I was like I'm sure they shot at that building. It's <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I mean I'm gonna be bold here. I'm gonna say if there's no Blues Brothers, there's no Dark Knight. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's funny because John Landis found all the how to make a, a car chase in Chicago seem like the coolest fucking thing. And I'm sure Nolan may have seen it. It's like, hey, man, I he may have well, taken some notes. Well, I mean, by the Chicago thing, why I said it wouldn't happen, because the big thing is that there was not a big studio film that had shot in Chicago before this movie. Wow. Really? That was the big thing, is that because of the mayor, Mayor Daly, who's it's like Richard Daly is the, the plaza there at the end, he didn't want people shooting there. So they were the first ones to come in and be like, hey, he's dead now. Oh, and the uh, mayor was Jane Byrne, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, uh, George, uh, George, do you remember who Jane Byrne is? Jane Byrne, I, I don't, man. She, you know, my she memory. She's the it's one shit. that moved into the Cabrini Green houses to prove to like know. try to clean them up, and she was gonna. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was her. So was she's her. like into oh. like these big theatrical gestures, I guess. Okay, I remember okay. now. 
Okay. That is super interesting. I would imagine that a metropolitan city like Chicago would be down for filming because, you know, hey, yeah. let's bring tourists to our city. We're, 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 hey, Blues Brothers was shot here. Yeah. And, you know, but yeah. I, what was yeah. the mayor's name? Uh, the Mayor Daly or? Uh, the guy before that was was uh, uh, Richard Daly. And he was the one that said no film. He had been a mayor of Chicago for like 20 years. Jesus. It was. So oh, like, shit. so when they came in, they're like, "Hey, we want to shoot here." Because again, it was a love letter to Chicago in a way. Because Belushi was from there, and it had electric blues as kind of the DNA of it. And so you had them going and do that. And and again, Chicago becomes a big filming place for the '80s with a lot yeah, of John Hughes uh, stuff. Ferris Bueller, right? Yeah, exactly. I think I think the the uh, the the restaurant they go to in Blues Brothers with like the some of your children scene. Is the same restaurant they go to in Ferris Bueller what? is what it is. So like, yeah, if you don't have Blues Brothers coming, you don't have that kind of uh, re- renaissance of Chicago films in the 80s. Uh, so, yeah, it kind of opens the door for all that. And that kind of opens the door for Candyman in the so show a different yeah. side of Chicago. Damn, our, our fucking we have like a interconnected universe of movies on the podcast now. That's it. That's it. <laughs> It's our MCU. Blues, Blue, Blues Bros and Candyman, same universe, right? That what it is that we're saying? It's the Chicago Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Film oh, books from here on out are going to quote us. But there's... What were you going to say? I was going to say that there's another thing that we keep talking about on the podcast. Star Wars? Is that? And there's uh, the notoriety of John Landis, yeah. which is what yeah. I want to get yes. into next. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. I want to, Austin, I need to ask you, did knowing about what John, what happened to John Landis four years from the making of this film, did it actually affect your viewing experience? It did affect my viewing experience. Okay. Um, I'm imagining negative. I mean, but, you I know. still love those car chase scenes. I think they're like, mm-hmm. fa- like sometimes I have to like write stuff down when I'm watching these movies for the show. And I'm like, no, I got to see that car flip again. I'm going <laughs> to rewind it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, this movie was a fucking horror film for me. This, this, yeah, like, there's, it, it kind of, it kind of messed with mm. my experience. Cause I, I was watching this and I was seeing all these stunts and I was like, Oh my God, how many people died making this? <laughs> oh, it was just a constant horror show. Especially when it like, so when it starts, right. They go to the parking lot and then they go, this is like the first car chase where they first run away from the police. It goes into in the, the mall, mall in the parking lot. Yeah. And then, the first store that they go through, do you know what it is? Toys, Toys are yeah. us. And I'm like, man, they don't care about kids' safety. They, they have kids in there, okay? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, no kids in a Toys R Us. Wait, you crazy? Oh, and it has a character that I absolutely hate in that quick scene. He's like, do you have a Miss Piggy? I thought you love Miss with Piggy. A fucking... I love Miss Piggy, but he's saying it while he's holding a character from uh, Sesame Street. Is it Grover? <sighs> it's I'm- the Grover, and he yeah, he's holding yeah. a Grover toy, and he lifts it up. And he's like, "Do you have Miss Piggy?" As if hinting that they're the same fucking, they're from the same uh, show. It's no, <laughs> Miss Piggy and Grover are separate. And I I saw that man. I was like, I hope the car hits him because I knew it was coming. Well, he was a stunt. He was a stunt man. He he was a stunt man. I just I I you know I saw that and I was like, you don't disrespect Miss Piggy that yeah. way. Well, the Miss Piggy thing—that's an inside joke. Really. Because Frank Oz, who plays Miss Picky, is in the movie. Yes, he is. Did you notice I him? I didn't notice him until the credits. I'm like, what? I, th- I noticed him until the credits, too. 
<laughs> we we have like a Frank Oz, or at least I've started to appreciate Frank yeah. Oz a lot more. He's a cool dude. Wait, his little cameo in Knives Out was one of my favorite yeah. parts of the film. Wait, so so Frank Oz was the voice of Miss Piggy? Yes. No fucking way. We talked about this. We talked about Wait, this. Wait, did we? <laughs> Bro, I can't remember. Uh, I'm going to insert a clip uh, here George. of when I told you this and you heard this information. And obviously it passed out of your fucking ears. You know Frank Oz is, right? Yeah. Did he do the Dark Crystal? He did do the Dark Crystal. But probably his most famous role is Yoda. Oh, I didn't know that. And Miss Piggy. Oh. Okay. And Grover and a bunch of the Muppets. <laughs> Man, again, you know my memory. Some things I can remember down to the details and other <laughs> shit is in one ear and out the other, bro. I'm sorry, man, but now now I know though. I'm going to die knowing that Frank Oz was Miss Piggy. And Yoda. <sighs> until ne- until next episode. Until, <laughs> until next, next episode. <laughs> it's like, oh you're right. <laughs> yes. Oh, one one quick thing that I wanted mm-hmm. to bring up, Austin. When we were talking about the John Landis thing in the first part, and I said, oh, I I know that this there's a car chase scene in this one, right? A big car chase. Yeah. I wasn't referring to the car chase at the end. I was talking about the car chase in the mall. Yeah. So when, I, so when that scene happens early in the film, where they get chased from the cops mm-hmm. and they go into the mall, I was like, oh, I thought this was the climax of the film. Why are you putting this 20 minutes <laughs> into the film? I was like... So I was either thinking, okay, you blew your load way too quickly, and the rest of the film's gonna be boring, or I am in for this man's gonna somehow find a way to <laughs> fucking do himself, which he does. And by the end of the film, I was like, yeah, yeah. oh, little did I fucking know this man was because on the Amazon where I rented Amazon Prime, it had the fun facts thing on the side, and it was like mm-hmm. this film broke the record for how many cars they destroyed by one hundred and seven. Yeah. I was like, 107 cars? John Landis, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> How many takes did you have to break this car? And I was, the I was car here being like, upside down. oh, he's some, he's some douchebag director. He's like, I need to get it this time. By the end of the film, I was like, oh, shit. No, that he, yeah, no. I yeah. totally see where it came from. I was an asshole. I mean, he's kind of an asshole, too. Look, man, I was being an asshole for just assuming that he couldn't film three cars in a mall and it took him 107 cars to do it uh, but, but, but i thought i thought he was being a pretentious asshole i mean it's still the case but just this isn't the the proof for it yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just having that scene early on i was like oh my god i have no idea what i'm in for yeah the, i i love both of the car chases but the the first mm-hmm. one is the one where i'm like this feels a little dangerous because there's still people in the mall and they're yeah. running between the cars and there's like they're doing uh, freaking donuts in there. There's a lot of smoke. Like, how yeah. can they really see the people running through? There's one shot that did really scare me. Is it was it the one where was, the woman was hit? No, 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 no. It was uh, it was the one where the cops. Uh, it's their, It's when they crash. The two guys, the white guy and the black guy. It's when they crash and the chase stops. You see people running towards the camera, and you could kind of see the second guy not really get into the, the the safety corner that they have for them. Oh, Jesus. And I just kind of freaked out a little bit because I was like, the car is really fucking close. Yeah. Like, it's already hit the thing, but something could happen. It could it could fall on top of him and stuff. It that's That shot freaked me out. Yeah. And he's on he's on top of the lens, basically. Like, he's right next to the camera lens. 
So it just gets really claustrophobic. Oh, yeah, there's a guy that, like, runs into the camera, too. Yeah. Yeah, there and is. I just, I got really nervous all of a sudden. Like, okay, I don't know if this roller coaster is safe anymore. Yeah, it's the part in, like, when you're watching, like, a wrestling show and they're doing something that looks really dangerous. They just keep climbing up and up and, like, guys, come on. Uh, one of the things I learned about that car, ch- that car chase is that they didn't fix the mall afterwards. <gasps> Well, well, there's a, there's a little bit to that. There's a little bit to that there, George. All right, put it on me. I want to learn. It was abandoned mall. Oh. They, sh- they shot an abandoned mall, and they built it up to look like a mall is what it was. Huh. <gasps> okay. So, so it wasn't like, they, they basically found an abandoned mall in, I think, Illinois, um, and they built it up to make it look actual, like it was a working Did mall. Did the mall come back after this movie? Not to my knowledge. Oh. No, they, and they demolished it in 2012. Oh, like you! It would have been nice, right? If Blues Brothers brought back yeah. them all from the dead, and said so it brought back yeah. a bunch of careers for black artists. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's probably better. <laughs> I almost threw some fake news out there. I am sorry, guys. I was like, hold on now, <laughs> hold on. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so no, but I, can you no go for it, Austin? Brandon, can you tell us about how these car chases were filmed and whether or not there were safety concerns? I haven't found anything on like the whole like the the safety quality of like the car chases. Um, well, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I I know for an example, let's say for example, it's not really a safety thing, but um, the 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 mall the, the mall scene when they're outside and they're going to the parking lot. It's just a kind of a tidbit. All the cars you see are brand new cars from a dealership. So. They had to make sure they didn't hit any of the cars. <laughs> if they did, they paid for them. Uh, and they're already over budget. Oh, yeah. There's a there's a funny line of how in the budget where they finally got the number of like, hey, your budget's 12 million. And the producer turns to the director goes, I think we already spent that. <laughs> oh, my God. And they're like a month into oh shooting. And like then they're nowhere near. T- <laughs> it was like 12 million. I think we already spent that much. Jesus. What the fuck? So it was that. Um. To my knowledge, what's interesting, the thing about the car stuff, too, because they were in Chicago, I do think, because I know the big thing with Landis is the Twilight Zone incident, um, is that the Chicago stuff, I think because they were working within a city, they had way more limitations. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it wasn't it was a controlled environment, so they had to make it more controlled. Was the city involved uh, at all? Yes, and like the bit like so the ending like now, for example, talk about safety, the ending stuff when they're like just driving fast down, uh, I think lower Wacker Drive underneath the L train or whatever. And it's these wide shots. They're really probably going 100 miles per hour because um, they're shooting in like Saturday, Sunday mornings in Chicago. And they talked about how like they had like 100 PAs basically locking off the street to where no one could come in and out of the area because they were speeding down the street. <laughs> hey, no, dude, you could, you could see the speed. I, yeah. I, I was watching this and I was like, there's no way this was, I mean, if they, they were driving 60 miles per hour, you could tell from where the camera was. Cause another yeah. shot that scared me is when they have the camera right in front of the bump on the front bumper of the car. Oh yeah. yeah. It's like lost highway style. It is yeah, the yeah. POV of the car and you are, you are blistering through these speeds. You could you could tell how fast it's going because of the pillars. Yeah, the pillars are swishing by you so fast, and there are. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I, I almost, don't know about. I almost I almost pissed myself when the bike when the when the bike, oh, the, bike, bike. Go, the bike yeah the bicyclist goes by yeah 
uh, and, the, and the truck. I don't know if they sped it up for that shot. I can tell you, though, in the wide shots of it, they don't speed it up because, again, I this you could say this is a safety concern uh, with Landis. He goes, hey, I don't want people to think that I sped that film up. Let's put people on the side. Oh, my God. But that leads me to believe that there was more stuff on there. It's just because nothing happened. They probably covered it up fairly well. Uh, if something did happen, but no one, no one died. Look, the thing is, when you hear about other directors kind of doing these, try to try to make it as real as possible. So yeah, um, yeah. if we have people here and stuff like that, you're like, oh, I commend that because you're trying to add a level of realism to it. Mm-hmm. But in John Landis's case, I'm like, yeah. bro, this is a you are going you are. This is the beginning of bad habits. Yeah, it, it, made, it, it I love that. Car, I love the final car yeah. chase, but it, it, there mm-hmm. were definitely moments where I felt really uncomfortable given what I had mm. known already. For me, it was mm-hmm. more of the the first one that gave me anxiety, but that, oh, and I'm thinking no, about the, that... the cars that when it, when the car, when the camera is on the front and you can see like the people walking by and the car just goes mm-hmm. in between them. Like, yeah. It, 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 the, and when, when the truck, cause it's such a close, it seems close. I don't know how far it is. They're using a wide angle lens. So yeah, they're not, they're not squeezing. They're not making it seem, they're not using a telephoto lens. They're not really mm-hmm. secretly far away. It seems like they got really fucking close. Now they might've sped it up. Yeah. And if they did, they did such a great job convincing it. Cause I was sweating and nervous. It was basically a horror film at the end. Yeah. I, I love that, love the chase, and I'm super happy that no one died. But fuck me, at some point, it's got to be, at what cost, man? At what mm-hmm. fucking cost? Yeah, so as a John, like, well, you like, um, The Blues Brothers is your favorite movie. And yes. I'm sure you also like uh, Coming to America. And- Train Places, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, oh one, one quick thing. One quick thing that we cannot, I just learned about this. He also directed Thriller. <sighs> yeah. He did. Yeah. He did. The music video. I didn't even know. God damn mm-hmm. it, man. I, I think that was after Twilight Zone as mm-hmm. well. It was after it. Yeah. There's yeah. a. Uh, you had them on your show once. Uh, the people. Uh, what is it? What went wrong? Yeah. 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 yeah, the, yeah, there's, yeah. there's this podcast called What Went Wrong, and they go over like, you know, famous or infamous movie shoots, and yeah. they covered the Twilight Zone. They did, um, mm-hmm. and they they talk a lot about John Landis. So if you want to like know the full story of of like why it sounds like I kind of hate the guy, I would recommend listening yeah. to that podcast yeah, yeah, to yeah. get like the whole details on like what actually happened on um, on the set of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, um, but I didn't know that George Miller was also part of that show uh, of the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and George Miller is also the guy that did Mad Max, right? Yeah. All of them. And there's a part in the making of uh, Fury Road where he forgets that they put like a, a dummy in place of the the war boy. So when he crashes mm-hmm. the big rig, he thinks that he's killed somebody. And I'm like, yo, he's going through PTSD from 1982. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone said it was okay. I said, but what, what, what happened? What I did, what I'd forgotten was that was Nux's dummy. And he was obviously on the other side with the full helmet and cage and so on. And when we looked at Max's dummy, it shaved off the top of the rubber latex of the top of the dummy. 
That was a, yeah, it was great. <laughs> Looked like it landed on your head. It did. I know because Spielberg and Landis didn't talk. I think after that movie, which I understand why. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. It's it, you never you never want to see that. That's just it's a movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's upsetting, mm-hmm. man. That I mean, like, look, uh, good on Spielberg, but fucking George Miller. That's that's really upsetting because he not just not just the fact that he killed someone, but it's bringing back all these memories that I'm sure well, he didn't kill someone. George, well, he didn't kill someone. George Miller. He thought no, no, he no, killed no, someone. No, 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 no. He he didn't. He never killed anyone. But yeah. it's just bringing back all these memories of like, oh my god, like it's Twilight Zone all over again. You know? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you, Brandon. How you feel about watching John Landis's movies now after knowing what he did? I it's like I like those movies, Training Places, and I love Blues Brothers and Animal House was a was a, a movie I loved in high school, but has definitely become dated and uh, problematic as time has gone on. I've never really associated those films with him, which may be why. I disconnect from him a lot. I see it as a John Belushi movie. I don't see it as a John Landis film. Blues Bros. 2000, maybe a John Landis film. <laughs> so you can hate it as much as you want. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think because I, I heard so much stuff because we had uh, a professor at my at my film school that worked on Twilight Zone and talked about that and the, the the accident where people died and basically she, she put uh uh she put blame on him and was like yeah i've that's the like he he wanted the helicopter to go low and that's when stuff happened um but yeah i i like i think coming to america is great and that, i think that's eddie murphy like so that's eddie murphy movie um i don't think landis's style of directing to me is anything i i've I say this when I think Blue Bros is a great film, but I, it's not something I like. Oh, I got, I got to be that guy. I want to be. I want to do what that person's doing. I think what lifts it up, and I think an example of that is is comparing Blues Bros to Blues Bros two thousand. Is that like you, you take John Belushi out of the equation, and it's the same movie, and it's just not good. Mm-hmm. So I always see Blues Bros. Like, this is a Belushi thing with Aykroyd, and that's it. Well, it's it's funny that you're that that we're talking about John Landis because. Um, you hear even growing up mm-hmm. as like a kid, you know, there's talks about the Spielberg film, you know, when my dad mm-hmm. was, when AI artificial intelligence came out, it's like, I didn't know what the, what the fuck is, what the fuck is this? What's AI? Who's Haley Joel Oswell? I don't, I don't give a fuck. It's like, it's Spielberg. <laughs> Spielberg made it. I'm like, oh shit, we gotta go. You know, it's, it, and the thing yeah. is you have these directors, Spielberg, yeah. Scorsese, um, and who all came up at the same time in the 80s, 60s, 70s, or not 60s, 70s, 80s. But John Landis is like never mentioned. Yeah. Like he's never, I didn't even know that Landis, the only Landis I was associated with was his son, who's a, yeah. who's a who's, screenwriter. Who's also terrible. Mm-hmm. Who's also shitty. Uh, yeah. what, what's his Max, name? Uh, Max Landis. Max Landis. Oh, just that name. Ugh. But. Um, that was the only association I had, and it was un- it wasn't until after college, so 2015 for me, where maybe even 2016, I started knowing about John Landis, and mm-hmm. it's funny because I do enjoy Blues Brothers. 
I, I agree with everything Brandon's saying. I enjoy Blues Brothers. I really enjoy Coming to America, but I've never looked at a John Landis film and been like, I really admire his style or what he's doing yeah. here stylistically. I like, I like certain kind of things that come up and all of them involve the actors like John Belushi, Eddie Murphy. And I like his approach to absurdism here, but it's not, um, it's still not to the same level as Spielberg or Scorsese or anything. He's not doing anything mind-blowing on a consistent level. You know what I mean? Not even taking the Twilight Zone movie incident into account. I just don't know, you know, if he really has that much directorial power. He's made good movies, but... Yeah. He's... I don't think he's going to age well. Like, I don't think future kids are going to know who John Landis is. They're going to know about Blues Brothers, but they're going to see John Landis like, oh... I think people are going to like look back and see that he did the Twilight Zone movie and then be shocked to find out he's done movies after that. I think it's going to be one of those things where it's like, I think he had that mentality of a Scorsese where he was like, I want to go, I want to push the envelope and I want to do whatever it takes to get it. But it's, it's weird because he's not going to be remembered for that. He's not going to be remembered for any of that. People aren't going to know who he is. Instead, they're going to kind of see that as like, oh, he was an egomaniac because in trying to do in trying to reach this status, he cost three people his lives. Yeah. Granted, you know, it's not totally. It's not justice, Mm -hmm. you know, because he never served prison time. I don't know if he got a fine. I think Um, they paid the family. He he was or one of the families. He he was still able to work. He was still able to work. So he it wasn't like his career was over. But it's kind of it's kind of nice knowing like like if anything, your name is kind of like is going to be an adjective as, oh, don't John Landis this, meaning don't kill three people in a shoot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's like a negative connotation to his name, which I think is kind of like sweet revenge. It's like, well, hey, man, you you didn't go to jail, but now you're not going to be the big director that you've always wanted to be the big (laughs) time. The Scorsese, the Spielberg. No one's going to say like, hey, let's go rewatch that Landis film. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, yeah, no, I agree. Oh, I just want to say we've quickly talked about it, but the cameos, Spielberg, uh, Frank Oz, Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, James Brown, uh, fucking John Candy, who we haven't mentioned, but he's in the film. He is. Oh, fucking Shaka Khan, who's in the, who's in the church scene. Was it before she was like Shaka Khan? It was before. Shaka Khan. She she was, yes, she was in a, in a group at this point called Rufus. Uh, but she is not like a solo artist really at this point. Cause yet. I was like, I remember George saying Shaka Khan was in the movie. So I was like yeah, yeah. waiting for her scene and then yeah, the movie yeah. was over. I'm like, Oh shit, where is Shaka Khan? <laughs> it, it's, it's before it's a weird time capsule. Cause it's like, Oh wow. We're seeing Shaka Khan before she blew up. Wild. So did yeah. their records it's, sales increase after this movie? Like Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin and all them? Yes. Um, I, I've heard James, I think James Brown said in his biography, someone said as or one of his books, and I've heard Aretha say in an interview that Blues Brothers opened up a new, I, I don't know if it's a demographic, but a new kind of audience that hadn't really found mm. them yet. Cause, and mm. so because of that, that happened. That's it's great. And it's true because Again, I hadn't listened to Aretha Franklin, but now I'm going back 
and listening through her catalog. Yeah. Yeah. Because I really want to know. And I'm listening to Ray Charles too, man. I was listening to the songs that they had on the album, but also other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude, I, I was watching the Aretha Franklin scene uh, just today yeah. and someone walked by me and there was like, oh, Blues Brothers, Aretha Franklin. And then he started singing the song. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I had headphones on. How do you? How did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we and we have to talk about Cab Calloway. Cab Calloway, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who yeah. he's like, do y'all know Minnie the Moocher? Then the curtains open and they're completely like all set up for it, and he's in a different outfit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it, it's it's like the outfit that he wore back in the yeah. day, like in the thirties. That's yeah, yeah. his song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He apparently he did a disco version of that song, <laughs> but. The, yes. the filmmakers didn't like it. They wanted yeah. to stick with the blues version, and they kind of he reluctantly performed it. Yes, but I'm like, man, you've got one of the coolest scenes in the film. I couldn't imagine this being a disco song. Yeah, basically, Landis had said that Cab Cali wanted to wanted to do the disco version for the movie, and he's like, no, 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 I want like the original one. And, and Cab Cali was just like, but why? It's old. Like, he's like, I just want that one. He's like, well, like, I've done all these. Uh, he's done, like, made the mooch, like, polka version or something. Like, he's done like, all these different versions of it. Dude, I gotta uh, look all these up, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, something, like, that he did. And, and they're just like, let's let's not do that. Because it was like he, I think he's like they recorded it. He did the version of it, and Lance like, yeah, that was kind of mediocre. He's like, mediocre, mediocre. What do you want? <laughs> and he's like, I kind of want it to be great. And he goes, oh, great. You want it to be great? Okay, give me a second. And then goes back and does a great version of it. And he's like, yeah, tell me what you want. Hey, folks, here's a story about Minnie the Moocha. She was a low down here. She was the roughest, toughest frail, but Minnie had a heart as big as a whale. Hidey, 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 What great tell me. Oh, uh, man, that's, that's cool. That's, um, <laughs> that's a nice he, story. Yeah, Cab Calloway's great. I mean, because like, that's a guy, uh, like, he early like 1930s music and like i think i think he was in like the cotton club uh in harlem um and performed there um but then he was also early like 1940s hollywood appearing in some movies uh like stormy weather and stuff like Mm -hmm. if you want to talk about like movies that kind of like showcase black artists there are a few movies back in the 40s that did it um and he was a part of those which is why it's kind of important that he's in this Mm. one really it's. I feel kind of bad because I was never a big blues uh, person. Uh, I fucking love disco. <laughs> I I was part. I would if I was alive, I would have been part of that movement. I was like, give me BGs, <laughs> give oh, me wow. all of this. I want disco <laughs> well, so <I> much. <laughs> I was I was part of the reason why the blues weren't as popular why they started dying. I blame you, George. Oh, I'm totally at fault, man. <laughs> I I love. Disco though. <laughs> do you want to do the line of the movie now? Yeah, let's do the let's do the quote. Okay. All right. 
so, I'm, I'm, mine's is really stupid. I'm sorry. Okay, but so I George will go first. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Go. You start off with the worst one. My line is this has a lot of funny lines, but it's one of the things that I'm just going to remember from this film, and it's such a small little thing. And you guys are gonna roll your eyes, but I gotta fucking do it. In the final scene, or in one of the final, in the final climactic chase, when they've gone to the to the building where they need to go, and they're being surrounded by the firemen and the cops and the SWAT, the the the, the army and the tank, the SWAT team comes in. <laughs> I had to pause the film because I would not stop laughing. <laughs> when the SWAT team comes out, they start. They immediately oh, just wow. start jumping out of the truck. And all of them almost. It reminded me of the birds from mine, 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 mine. I could not stop laughing, and that has to be my quote. It's just because they because they constantly cut back to them when they jump out of when they're when they when they arrive on the scene. They jump out of the car. They're taking weird different angles. They're they're crawling on top of one of the buildings yeah they're like, <laughs> like military style they're rappelling down the building saying, hut, and hut, while hut, they hut. while they yeah. do all of this they're yelling hut 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 it i died i could not stop laughing and <laughs> it's, it has to be my quote <laughs> fucking funniest part of the film for me funniest yes I could that, not stop like that that's sometimes the movie will like lose me because I'm like, oh, this isn't my uh-huh. issue. But then when, when that stuff happens, I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is why the child in me loved this movie. Because <laughs> of all this this yeah. cool stuff. I'm a grown-ass man, and I could... I, I still was love laughing it. for like yeah. 10 minutes straight. <laughs> Austin, you want to you go next? No, I think I want, I, want, <laughs> I want Brandon to go next. I'll go last. Okay. Right. So, like, the quote can well, sum a, up how you feel uh-huh. about the movie, or a, a quote that maybe you think sums up the thesis of the movie, or whatever you want. So, I mean... A lot of great quotes in this movie. I mean, the whole bit. I mean, I'm not gonna pick this one, but the whole uh, Juliet Jake uh, pleading to his oh ex lover Carrie Fisher <laughs> is wonderful. Uh, and I, I, I used. To, I don't know if I can still do, it, but I can quote the entire thing at one point. Um, my favorite line in the movie, because you know, it's the it's the line actually on the poster I I bought when I was in like middle school or kid and hung in my room. And it's kind of, the, I think the famous one is the, there's 106 miles, Chicago. Yep. We've got a full tank <laughs> gas, half pack of cigarettes. It's dark out and I'm wearing sunglasses. That's the movie. to That's, me. that's the best line <laughs> in the movie. It's one of those quotes where it's like, I, I don't think they knew how popular this line was going to be when they wrote it. I don't, I don't think that they did, yeah. but that line, you're right. Summarizes the entire film. Yeah. All right, Austin. So cap us off with your quote. All right. Very good quote. Very good quote, by the yes, way, Brandon. Great Very quote. good pick. So I, I love, I don't know if I love this. But I do like this movie a lot. There's parts of it where I'm like, this mm-hmm. is, this, I have to rewind this. I have to watch it again. There's yeah. like the, how many side plots there are. It's like, man, does this movie really need to be <laughs> two hours and 15 minutes? Um, uh-huh. But the, the way it, it showcases black talent like that and like, yeah. It's part of me is like there are two white dudes doing black music. There's a little bit of a mm-hmm. cultural appropriation going on there, but it's it's not yeah, yeah. really that they're showcasing it because they're bringing they're yeah. bringing the real James Brown, they're bringing the real Ray Charles, real so that that kind of cancels it out. You know, I don't see it as yeah, yeah. as cultural appropriation. You know, they just love blues music. Watching it in you know 2021, <laughs> I'm assuming. Yeah, um, yeah. 
there's stuff that doesn't hold up, but it's still there's still so much to to love about this yeah. movie. Like some that the ending card chase is like hilarious. The mall card chase is great. Yeah. So the quote that I think sums up how I feel about the movie is um you don't like it? Shrugs. Okay. And then he crashes through uh, Toys R Us. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Miss Piggy? That's that's the next line. Oh, God. You don't like it? Okay. I fucking love that that song. Like, I remember um, playing Grand Theft Auto online or something. And we were in, like, a car chase. And I was just doing that music in my head. And then I didn't Uh think about Blues Brothers. I'm like, no, this is the police car chase music. You know? Wait, I'm, cu- I'm it's, curious. It's, it's yeah, it's it's an Otis Redding song. It's actually an Otis really? Redding song. It's it's I can't turn you loose. Is what it's called? Ah, uh, yeah. And I and I think I assume Steve Cropper was probably Steve Cropper and and Donald Dunn were on that song because it was out of stacks out of Memphis. Who were members of the Blues Brothers band? Yes, yeah. I, I'm curious. We we don't usually do this, but I am because this is a musical. I wanted to ask. What song or what song sequence stood out to you the most? Uh, my, I, I already talked about mine's. I like the uh, "Stand by Your Man." Uh, it just, it, it, look, man, look, no, there's, there's a lot of songs in here that are great, but I'm curious as to you guys, especially I, Brandon. I'm really curious as to see which one, which one scene, which one song. If you had to pick, you would, you would choose. There's a lot of songs in the movie, so I'll, I'll say this. I'll say my favorite. S- a song I like that just kind of gets me in like this is the this is the Blues Brothers I'm ready to go uh, is the first song in the movie called She Caught the Katie. Which is a Blues Brothers song, but they don't perform it in the movie. It's the only song I think that's just like a a transitional song. When did they um, play it? That's, when did huh? they play it? When he's leaving the when he's leaving the jail, right? When they leave the jail. Oh, okay. It's like the whole opening credits is she caught the Katie, so it's like John Belushi singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, okay. It's it's very interesting. So it's just like that just to me like sets the mood. It's just them driving. In terms of like movie like songs I've listened to by the Blues Brothers a lot that's on the on the in this movie, it's probably that one. Um in terms of performance. I mean, I, I, Sweet Home Chicago is kind of my go-to. Come on, baby, don't you make me laugh. Baby, don't you want to go? That's, that's kind of my favorite. When did they play that when one? When did that come? That's the last song. In the jail cell? That's when they're like... No, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Jailhouse Rock's the last one. It's the, it's the one... It's the last one they're playing as they're... Uh, and they're dancing together? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a it's a seven and a half minute song on the on the soundtrack. It's long. Two minutes in the movie. Yeah. So my favorite musical performance, like musical scene, mm-hmm. is when they go to that bar and play. Um, what are they Rawhide. before that? What do they play? Give me some love. Oh, give me some love. Give me some love. Yeah, I like that that whole sequence because like they're yeah, playing yeah. it and then that that dude who owns the bar is like this ain't no Hank Williams yep. song and, yep. and then yep, they start Bob. throwing the yeah and then he's like hey remember that that rawhide then they the the theme from rawhide yeah. and then they played that song and that's the one that i remember the most as a kid like watching that scene yeah. rolling, rolling, rolling. Oh, the 
Rawhide doesn't mean shit to me. <laughs> Rawhide, as far as I'm concerned, is that that scene in the Blues Brothers. <laughs> and, you know, that song then became the freaking Walmart theme song for all their commercials. They had this smiley face as their logo. And then the the thing would sing, rolling, 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 keep those oh, prices. Oh, I do remember that now. I do, I do, yeah, yeah, And then you would see the prices go down because that's what was rolling, yeah. the prices. There's an animated film with a rat and that song comes up in it. That's how my relationship to it. But it's like, it's Five Old Five Goes, Goes West. West. <laughs> yeah. I, is that is that it? It's, yes. Yeah, I think, and I think they play Rawhide. Rolling, rolling, yes. rolling. When, when little Five Old is like walking in the desert and he's lost. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> I did. When, I, when they started playing, I was like, this sounds familiar. Wait. Oh, my God. It was that Ratatouille scene where it just took me back to me watching <laughs> Five Old. Um, and, th- and there's also the video game that George talked about. Blues Brothers 2000. Man, I was watching the playthrough yeah. and dude, I can tell, I, I can see why you couldn't get past the first level. That game looks confusing as hell. Oh, uh, and, and little George was stupid as fuck. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not much, I'm not much brighter now, but God damn. Like, I'm like watching it. I'm like, ooh. how does the guy know to punch the greats? And like every boss fight he gets into, he dies. Never touch that game again. Uh, Even the, 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 it came out two years after the movie came out, which I find very funny. <laughs> oh, uh, Bruce Brothers 2000? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I thought it was a cool thing. I was like, oh, like these guys are dressed really cool. I'm playing the game. I'm like, I'm so lost. Oh, and the sound that he makes when he jumps is so annoying. I was like, I, I'm going to put Super Mario on because I feel like I feel way smarter yeah, the, playing that. That game was a Super Mario ripoff or a Mario yeah. 64 ripoff. There's one other thing I found out recently. There, Jim Belushi, John Belushi's brother, um, mm-hmm. he is now a cannabis farmer, right? And <laughs> do you know about this, Brandon? I, I've never heard about this. I have not, actually. So he's a cannabis farmer, right? And he comes out with this new strain called the Blues Brothers. Oh, oh man, I gotta try this. It out. is... It seems like it's kind of overpriced, <laughs> but you can uh, you can buy it in Chicago because uh, recreational uh-huh. is legal there. So you can go into the shop. Um, mm-hmm. It's called Grassroots Cannabis, and it's in Skokie, 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 S K O K I E, Illinois. Yeah, and it's where yeah. you can find and buy officially licensed Blues Brothers strain of, of weed. I guess I know where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, For real, I I gotta try this. Dan Aykroyd was gonna come by and like I think he was gonna come by and open the shop with the shop. Jim Belushi or make an appearance, but mm-hmm. there's was like a hang up and traveling from Canada to the U.S. during COVID. So oh, this is recent. Yeah, apparently, yeah, apparently there is a TV show called Growing Belushi oh, about him yes, growing yes, cannabis yes. in Oregon. Yeah. I guess I'm gonna watch this now. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's nice. I love it. Like, all, all the titles are like "A Mission from God" <laughs> is one of the titles of an episode, and "The Weed Brothers" is another one. Jeez. Well, see, I'm also I'm also a card carrying member of the Jim Belushi fan club as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll go watch anything he's into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you're if you're in Chicago, uh, you can get the Blues Brothers strain for about sixty five dollars for an eighth. Oh man. 
That's a lot. I don't know. I, I don't buy weed, man. I don't know. I don't either, but I'm looking at plane tickets to Chicago. <laughs> you got to get, get it to like finish out your Blues Brothers uh, merchandise collection. Do, you have, do I have merchandise? Yeah. Of course I do. Um, I don't have any. Like, I, I do have shot glasses. I do have Blues Brothers shot glasses. Uh, I think like someone bought me. I think it's like Blues Brothers, like ducks. <laughs> like it's like they're a duck, but it's like each one's like one's an Elwood and one's a Jake. Uh, I think that's at my 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 parents' house. Oh, that's great. Um, there's a lot. I mean, it's not like I mean, I'm not like a, like I collect it and I have like a a, a shrine to it. But, but I you have turn, collected. You have. I don't. Yeah, I don't turn down Blues Brothers memorabilia. So I just don't do. Now that. Now I know exactly uh, what to get you on your next birthday. It's, it's either that or like a, a, a Jim Belushi cameo is another thing. Ooh, I'm like, I would love to see yeah. a Jim Belushi uh-huh. on cameo. I really and this is and I've never admitted this, but I really want someone to get me a cameo, but no one's like done it for me. Wow. The thing. I always make hints like, hey, I'd, I'd love one, guys, and then nothing. <laughs> When's your birthday? No, but see. <laughs> It was it was October fourth. Oh, that's so right. It just it's passed. passed. That's right. Wait, uh, how how old are you, Brandon? Uh, I'm twenty nine. Twenty nine. Oh shit! You near? Ooh. <laughs> yes, I'm near thirty. Okay, so now now we, we know. know you have put sh- it out in the world. He I wants a cameo. Like tw- just twenty eight, because like I mean, COVID years. It's like who's, who's counting it? Like what yeah. happened? <laughs> what happened during COVID? Nobody. Yeah. Knows. All right, so let's try to to close out this episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> two, two hours. Yeah. yeah. So Brandon. Oh man, I'm everything has to be two hours so, now. All these episodes have to be two hours. Brandon, where can people <laughs> yes. find you? Well, for one, uh, I did the Cination podcast with my buddy Thomas Horton, and we've been doing it for a while now. It's been changed a little bit during COVID uh, for the better, where we each month we look at genres. I think, Austin, you said earlier in the show, uh, each month we look at a specific genre uh, or subgenre of film and kind of like analyze the history of it and kind of how uh, the tropes uh, go from movie to movie and how, how, just how, how to make a film like that and just what's kind of what makes up a, what makes up a specific genre. Um, and that's called Sination Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our Twitter is at Sination Pod, and on Instagram it's at Sination Podcast. And then me, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Twitter. My my Twitter is at uh, BrandSparks33. I have a Blues Brothers photo as my cover <laughs> image at the moment. God damn, we got the right guy for I this know, podcast right? episode. <laughs> and then and it's just Brandon C. Sparks on Instagram. So you can find me there and you can find Cinenation wherever you search. Okay, so 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 can you just spell out Cinenation real quick for people? Yes, Cinenation, C-I-N-E-N-A-T-I-O-N. Perfect. Cinenation. It was very hard for me to say the first few years of doing it. Uh, honestly, guys... To our viewers, I totally recommend checking out Austin, uh, Brand- <laughs> Brandon's Austin's podcast. Pod- Check out Austin's podcast. <laughs> Check out Austin's podcast. You might see a familiar voice there. <laughs> I heard he's a cool guy. Uh, no, ch- check out Brandon's podcast because he really goes into these. Uh, he really goes into these tropes and all, and they're really detailed. Uh, <laughs> I get lost sometimes because you're talking about actors on actors, but it's incredibly insightful and educational man and i have i uh you you talked about you posted on your um instagram today uh because you you just watched the big sleep yeah 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 yeah. yeah. we're doing like noir stuff for when for recording in november uh i don't know when this released um but we're doing noir stuff so we're posting like noir photos each day is kind of the thing and it is in like the clips and stuff that you've been posting 
I've, I'm really excited because you were talking Thank about you. Citizen Kane yeah, and yeah. how that influenced it. Man, mm-hmm. very much encyclopedic knowledge of filmmaking and you guys are super fun to listen to. Thank so you. So I, I highly, that. highly check it out. Again, Brandon came to this podcast and this man ran shit. <laughs> I, I had no idea any of this happened and now I feel like I'm a Blues Brothers expert. Yeah, maybe. So, oh, and, and there was stuff I didn't even talk about. Oh, there's, there's, I'm sure there's, oh. there's plenty of stuff. Um, so much cocaine on set, guys. So much oh, cocaine. Man. That's all I got to say. <laughs> no, but thank thank you again so much for coming out, Brandon. Yes, thank, you. thank you for having me on. I really I had fun. I'm glad. Oh, man, I'm glad. That's about it for our show. Thank you for listening. Um, we'll see you in two weeks. You can feel free to leave us a five-star review on whatever Spotify, Apple Podcasts helps people find the show. Uh, you can follow us at retrograde underscore pod at on Twitter and on Instagram, and we have a Facebook thing too. But I'm really slow with Facebook. Um, I'm trying to focus <laughs> on the the newer social media platforms to get the kids in interested. You guys on TikTok? Yet? We should do a TikTok. You guys on TikTok? The only people on Facebook are boomers. Okay, Austin. <laughs> You got to get with the hip kids. Hey, what if what if there's some boomers listening to the podcast? My, my mother's probably listening to the podcast. So she would fall in that category. <laughs> Why are you trying to alienate half of our audience, George? You, you know what? I take it take back. Take it back. Hi, Brandon's mother. Thank you so much for listening. Your son's great. And he's super smart. <laughs> All right. I'm trying to make up for just the dumb shit I'm saying. <laughs> That's, you better keep this in the podcast. Of course. I'll, I'll keep it in the show. Um, uh, all right. Thanks, guys. See you later. Five See star reviews. Five star reviews. <laughs> yeah. Five stars. Thanks. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>